You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes. This is Coach Brett Blankner with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we take the world's most complicated sport and try to simplify it down to help improve your results and also to help improve your life and learn a little bit of Zen along the way. All right, we have an interview with Luke Tybersky, who is doing a crazy, crazy long-distance triathlon where he's going going to swim across the Gibraltar Strait, which is the western mouth of the Mediterranean Sea. And then he's going to bike along the southern coast of Spain until he gets to France, and then he's going to run the entire length of France. And I forgot how many days it's going to take him, but it's many. (laughs) And it's really, really cool. So he joins us for this episode to talk about how that's all going to go down. Very excited to have him on the show. He's a really energetic, cool guy. So we have that, but then I also want to tack on a little bit about Zen and the stages of enlightenment after his interview. And then we have voicemails and answering questions, and then a little bit of training log and to wrap it up before we head off to... Next episode, which will be the Ironman Texas Extravaganza. All right, let's do a little bit of triathlon news. Got a whole bunch of stuff this week. All right, we have two really big race company news items. Uh, Should we do uh, most important first or most shocking first? (laughs) I don't know. I can't decide which one's which. Uh, Let's start off with Ironman. Uh, the WTC just got, I don't even know how to phrase it. It's, it sounds worse than it is. Uh, they got busted by the feds for running an illegal gambling uh, ring. I don't know what you would call it. But I- anyway, the uh, federal government has decided that, um, that the paying to try to qualify for a lottery spot for Kona is uh, gambling. And that over the years, Iron Man has collected $2.76 million in this, which is a ton of money. And uh, the government, I can't tell yet if the government's going to pay the participants back uh, for their losses into the system. And uh, But they're definitely taking it from Iron Man. And that's... Uh, a lot of people are like, well, why don't you pay back the um, the people involved? And there's kind of a, uh, if, if you relate it to being busted for drug dealing, for example, uh, the person uh, that you bust the drug dealer and the people that were involved in it uh, lose their money as well. So it's not really, it's not a really good analogy, but you can kind of see, well, you were a knowing participant in this, uh, illegal or not, and therefore you've lost your money. So, um, hopefully the, uh, feds will pay back the athletes and their money lost. I was a little shocked by, uh, a a couple of details that I found out. First off was that $2.7 million that Ironman raked in 
on that uh, over the years. But then also the 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 fact that Iron Man would never disclose how many people were involved. So you were entering into a a uh, gambling uh, system with not knowing the odds, which is a pretty unfair. Um, you know, if I pay, I forgot how much it was, but let's say it's 50 or $80 to get a, uh, a, a Kona uh, lottery spot. And then, but you don't know that, uh, 1 million other people are also, uh, playing. Would you pay? I'd probably not be like, there's no way I'm going to win. Why would I waste my 50 bucks? So, um, I was a little saddened to hear that I never really did it. So I don't know that Iron Man never uh, disclosed how many other people, um, uh, were, uh, entering the same year as you. So you didn't know what your odds were, but there's that. Okay. But Iron Man is not alone in their, uh, their news story. A challenge has, uh, decided to pull their, um, pro prizes, their pro races, actually the entire pro race races from around half of their North American races. Uh, don't have a list in front of me of the races. Uh, it's all over the internet and you can look it up and find out, um, if the, if the race you're going to next has a pro field, it was a big surprise and a shock. And then the, um, that's the facts of the story. The ugly side of the story is that in a uh, pretty direct way, apparently in the email to the pros, uh, they blamed the pros for not registering early enough and um, not being clear on their goals for the season. And that's kind of like the, uh, the king blaming the citizens <laughs> for the king's problems in that the challenge is a, is a big comp. Well, I don't know how big it is, but it's a... It's a company with staff and organized uh, people and stuff, and and the pros are saying a whole bunch of them signed up for races and then never heard anything back from the company that whether they were in or not. So, Challenge was not doing a great job on, uh, you know, being efficient at their business, and then the business model didn't exactly work out, and then they turn around and and blame the pros, which. Uh, I'm not saying whether that's, you know, truth or not. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not there, so I don't know. But um, blame is an ugly word that, that uh, makes you look bad. And you really shouldn't be... And, and then blaming pros it is uh, not... doesn't make you look good because pros are not in a position to uh, make any change or be in a position where they could have done any more. Pros are out training all day and they don't make hardly any money anyway. And to load more responsibility on their backs that somehow they should have followed up with 16 emails to the race director to make sure that the, uh, that they're actually on the starting list, um, is not their burden. Uh, it's actually the race company's burden. So it's uh, all around just a whole bunch of drama this week. And, uh, Remember, Zen and Yard of Triathlon is a uh, entertainment and opinion show. <laughs> I'm not saying all these things are fact. <laughs> Go out and find out for yourself before, or before you believe everything I say. Just like Zen and Buddhism. Be clear on things yourself before you uh, totally go off on your own and um, 
believe in everything that everybody tells you. So I think there's a whole lot more to these stories that's uh, not uh, out there and probably may never be out there. So just things to know. On a good note, let's see. Let's make sure this race is actually still going on with all these cancellations and such. Uh, Justin Metzler, who has been a uh, great friend of the show and done a couple of interviews with us, he's looking for a homestay in Lubbock, Texas. And he is... He's doing a challenge race in Mexico on June 21st. Oh, we need to see if that one is uh, canceled. And then he's planning on racing Buffalo Springs 70.3 in June in Lubbock, Texas. And he was looking for a place to stay in Texas the week before the race in Lubbock. So, Justin Metzler, M-E-T-Z-L-E-R, is an up-and-coming pro that is has a uh, big smile, Fun to be around and an FTP of 380 something watts. <laughs> so maybe he can sit on a bike and pedal your house, uh, pedal the electricity out for your house for a week while he sits there. So uh, give him a shout out on Twitter and, or on our website, see if you can find him and let him know. Cool. All right, so that's all the triathlon news. Let's go ahead and get started with our interview about. Luke Tiberski. I had a lot of fun interviewing him. I'm not going to delay anymore. This is absolutely nuts what he's doing. And like I said, I wish I was doing it too. And in the future, he may uh, allow uh, this uh, more people to join him. It seems like this time it's just him doing it, but then he's going to open it up for a whole lot of people. Here we go. Welcome to the next level. Luke. Great. How are you? <laughs> How are you doing, man? Oh, man. Sorry about that. Absolutely mental afternoon. And then my computer decided just to shut down when I turned it on. Oh, yeah, that'll happen. That happened to mine uh, yesterday. Yeah, it's bullshit. I said, by the power of Steve Jobs, you're a freaking Mac, man. Come on, run. I bought you because you're a Mac and you're not supposed to crash. <laughs> exactly. My, my thoughts. Here, let me switch. I guess uh, if we get Skypey, let's try it without the uh, video for a minute, and let's see if uh, it per- performs better. Okay. So, or it doesn't matter to you, but let me uh, let me. Uh, okay. How about now? Are you there? Yeah, no, I think that's better. Okay. I'd I'd rather have video, but uh, I just did an interview with Rachel Joyce. Oh, and, nice. Uh, yeah, she was awesome, and every once in a while she would go. Like that. And it's the Skype, you know, cutting out, and it's just, it's like, dang it, man. What's going on with you? Are you in London? I am in London. I'm, uh, yeah, just hanging out, doing my thing, living life. So what's funny is uh, over here in Texas, since we so rarely run into British people or Australians, we yeah. can't tell the difference in accents. A, lo- a lot. Yeah, of I know. I used to live in Oklahoma, so I got that all the time. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I was in an elevator in California one time, and uh, I noticed people had an accent, and I thought they were from Australia. And I said, "Oh, you're mm. from you're from Australia," and they got insulted, and they said, oh, "We're from London or something, whatever." You know. <laughs> and the the way they treated me back was so rude. And I was trying to be nice, you know, it was so rude that I just looked at him. I said, Ah, whatever, it's all the same. Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I know it's I know it's not. 
it's a whole nah, world but, apart. But I, I, I said that on purpose to like be like, oh, you're gonna be rude. Let's see what that feels yeah, like. Yeah, I'd say that as well. It's a bit like get yeah. over it. You know what? Like, who cares? I don't give a shit. People call me I'm New Zealand from South Africa, whatever. Same stuff. Uh, how can you tell a difference? What's a giveaway in Aus- uh, to tell a difference between Australian accent and um, and English? British. Oh, for me, it's just I just what my ears hear. You know, obviously, growing up in in Australia, is you just know it. You well, know? What, what's um, the Australian version of? I guess in uh, in in uh, England or UK, they say bloody. Bloody's a bad yeah. word. Is it a bad word? Uh, I don't know. I say bloody all the time, and <laughs> everyone still talks to me. So um, Aussies will say mate a lot. Oh, mate. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Kiwis will say bro. Really? I say bro. Yeah, but it's it yeah. sounds different. Yeah. It sounds different. And then the Brits, I don't know. If, if one doesn't say bro and one doesn't say mate, then they're probably a Brit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they say cheers. Does uh, Yeah, cheers. Do, do Aussies say cheer? cheers? Um... Not really, not, not really. really. Okay, so Mate, that's our giveaway. I've not lived in Australia for eleven years, so I forget everything now. Yeah, <laughs> I think you say years, and they would say years. Maybe. Yeah, no, mate, you've got that. You've got yeah. that down pat. It's yeah. awesome. All right, so let's get to triathlon. And what are you doing in London anyway? You got all this stuff going on. You're from Australia. You're going to do this incredible triathlon that I'm trying trying very hard not to try to invite myself to go do. And then but you're in London right now. So what, what why are you in London? I used to be a soccer player mm-hmm. and I came over here to I was playing in Belgium and then I got a few bit of interest to come over here. So I came over here like geez, seven nearly 7 years now. Yeah. And um Trained with a few clubs, got injured, got fit, got injured, basically battled three years of injuries. I had three surgeries in 11 months, major back um, injections, loads of other injections, major injuries everywhere. Ouch. And I just went basically three and a half years ago, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And massive sidestep from life, I signed up to the Marathon de Sables the, next, the same day, mm-hmm. six marathons in seven days through the Sahara Desert. And pretty much, I just went, I'm going to be an adventurer and I'm going to stick around in London and try and make it work. So the last sort of three years, I've been bouncing around doing big, crazy adventures and pushing myself both physically and mentally as hard as I can in, in basically in aim to live life every day and to inspire others to live their life every day. And uh, yeah, so I've been sort of forging my way, my little brand as the adventurer um, I train other people like in the gym, like personal training. I, I train other oh, runners, awesome. ultra runners, yeah. Um, yeah, marathoners, 10Kers, all that type of stuff. Um, I cook and I teach cooking lessons. Oh, I write. This is great, man. Can you and I be best friends? <laughs> yeah, no worries. I've, I've got plenty of best friends in waiting. Um, yeah. Best friend in waiting. <laughs> but, but, but yeah. <laughs> Um, what else do I do? I write occasionally for magazines and stuff around the world. Um, I wrote a book about my 
trip to Nepal, which I'm hopefully having published at the end of the year. So, um, yeah, and that's what I do. But now it's, you know, it's all the last three years I came up with uh, the Ultimate Triathlon. Yeah. And I released it in February at the biggest triathlon show in London. I spoke there and, and I released it there with one of my sponsors and um, been promoting it and just telling the world about it ever since sort of the end of February. And, yeah, I'm doing it. And that's it. Bottom line. This okay. I got a bunch of questions. What you uh, you quit uh, soccer because of back injuries, but how do you and foot and knee and oh, everything? Foot and yeah. knee. So how do you not injure yourself doing all this running, for example, and on the bike? I don't know, man. Like obviously, was... my body didn't like the explosive stuff anymore. And oh, okay. Um, and yeah, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm. I go out and just do a few hours a week of training. You know, a, a heavy training week for me is is thirty hours, and an average one is you know sort of fifteen, yeah, fifteen to twenty hours a week. So I'm out doing a lot of swim, bike, run, and gym work, and my body is fine. I've apart from my first race, the marathon de Sables in the desert, where I totally overtrained because I went from running no more than six miles. In one go, within about three months, I did a 100-mile week. Right. So, you know, that was always going to get an overuse injury in my knee on my ITB. But apart from that, I've not really had any injuries. And, you know, I've thrashed myself <laughs> so long mm-hmm. um, on so many occasions doing different sports. But my body just – obviously, I've had this diesel diesel engine and it didn't like the, the, the drag racing. It just wanted to go long and steady for a very, very, very long time and, you know, I'm doing it. Yeah, you know, um, I'm the same way about the uh, triathlon. Does n- I just do not seem to get injured. Like, it's really crazy. I think it's the variability, you know, and if something starts to kind of hurt a little bit, you can uh, work on something else for a while. There's always something to something else to improve on. Like, say... I got a problem with my right foot with a bone that likes to act like it might break again because I broke it when I was a teenager. And I'll be like, oh, my foot hurts. You know what? Um, I'll just slow down and maybe I'll bike today or, or swim today or something like that and kind of give my foot an extra day. And then it's fine. It, it's really weird. Yeah. yeah instead of a, Maybe it's a single sport versus multi-sport. It seems to help a lot. You know what? I'm not going to experiment and try and figure that out by no, no, going back right? and playing football. I'm, I'm just going to try and go from Morocco to Monaco in 12 days. Yeah, let's talk about that. This is really cool. Um, and also, I think uh, I just listened to a podcast. Uh, talk Ultra did a special. They do it every year on um, Marathon de Sables. Yep. And uh, yeah, so it's a run across the desert. Uh, Would you say it's seven days? Do you get a rest day in yep. there? Uh, well, there's a rest day, but it's after a double marathon, so you only really get half a day. It's it's the equivalent of six marathons in seven days. Yeah, that's crazy, and all, a lot of it on sand. <laughs> yes, yeah, sand, rock. Um, you have to pack dirt. your own gear, right? You have to pack your own bedding and your own equipment. And stuff. You you carry everything on your back except for a tent. Well, a, a makeshift tent and your rationed water. Everything else for the entire week, all your food, your mm-hmm. clothing, everything you carry in your backpack. Wow. Oh, yeah, all your food, right? So there's all this strategy yeah. over what – that this uh, on Talk Ultra, they, they interview a ton of different people and ask what they brought, they brought to eat and why, and it's fascinating, you know? Um, okay, so oh, – it's, it's crazy. Yeah, and so this was great training ground, right, for you to learn about how to do really long multi-day stuff. 
So, um, yeah. This when I saw. First off, I want to compliment you on your on your uh, website for the Ultimate Triathlon. And where'd it go? I just had it up. There it is. So it's theultimatetriathlon.co. And um, it's really it's a really well done webpage. It's got everything on there. It's nice and clear. Great maps, by the way. Um, and um, yeah, just really really nice website. And thank. This is this is nuts, man, and I I love it because this is pretty much the ultimate uh, course, right? So you swim the Strait of Gibraltar, which is what is that like? A, is that like a six miles, or how how far is the Strait of Gibraltar? I'll swim about eleven to twelve miles. Eleven to twelve miles with current, all kinds of craziness. You're leaving from uh, Morocco uh, and swimming north. Yeah across Gibraltar. Everybody needs to go take a break and go over to the ultimate triathlon.com or .co and um, follow me as, as we talk, follow us as we talk about it. Right. So on your map, it shows yeah, sure. you go, um, you swim across the Strait of Gibraltar. And um, what, what about being in Morocco? Is that any kind of difficulty at all or, uh, and getting in the water over no, there? It, no, no, it's all good because the swims, Sanctioned by a, a company who will be accompanying me along the yeah. along the straight with boats and stuff. So you know, it's it's like any straight crossing. You, okay. you pay them money and they sort everything out. You just turn up and you stand on the rocks and they go, okay, when you're ready, jump in, go yeah. for it, and that's it. Yeah, cool. Okay, so you've got the Atlantic on one side and the Mediterranean on the other on your right, and uh, yeah. you swim just pretty much straight north and you head across that. Um, dodging the big shipping tankers that come in and out of yeah. there hundred times a day. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be nuts. This is bananas, man. This is great. Okay, and then you um, you get on land, and then you start biking, and you bike along the southeastern coast of Spain, right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. when you get to the, is it when you get to the border of Spain and France? Is that where you're gonna switch to running? Yeah, it made sense to me. Cycle all of Spain <laughs> and then get rid you. of the bike and put some shoes on and run. Yeah, okay. It's actually, yeah, the distances look pretty much like a like a triathlon, you know, like a standard triathlon just exploded out over uh, a huge amount of time and distance. So the um, proportionally, though, it looks about, about right. And then, um, let's see... Biking in Spain is the distance of biking the length of Great Britain? Yeah, in four and a half days or in four four and a bit stints, yeah. And do you have a um, – are you – what's your pace going to be on this? Are you, are you just cruising along? Are you going to do it kind of fast? Are you going to try – has anybody ever done this before and you're going to try to beat their time or anything like no that? One, no one – no one has ever – I created this challenge. Uh-huh. I created it three years ago and I've been um, researching to try and find someone who's done anything like this and it's never been done before. So I'm going to be the first ever to do this course with a swim, bike, run. Right. And in regards to my pacing, well, the thing is I've got like four full days of basically – 200 miles of cycling Ooh. and then I've got seven yeah. days of running of 50 miles so I can't go out too hard because 
I'm not going to be able to recover in time because my body will just be shattered. But at the same time, I just can't pod log and go, oh, look at this. This is nice scenery. I'll take a photo here because then I'm going to make my days too long and I'm going to start at 6.30 every day from um, when I'm on land so I can, so people can come by and replicate uh, the ultimate triathlon if they want. Hopefully, in a couple of years, I'll offer that. Yeah. But I'm going to start at six thirty every morning, pretty much. And if I'm pottering along and it's taken me twenty hours to cycle one day and go, that was nice, that was easy. But I may only sleep for two hours, so I have to go at a decent speed, but not at a rate where I'm dipping into my reserves too quick, too early. Otherwise. I got that final day of like 200 miles and I tip into the Pyrenees with some hills at the at the border mm-hmm. and then if I'm shattered, I've you know, I've still got 50 miles a day for 7 days. So it's <laughs> it's going to be strategic as much as it can be, yeah. but guts pretty much will get me to the end. Have you have you done uh, anything so long and settled in to where you actually, you know like when you do the Tour de France? Or they do mm. the Tour de France. We haven't done it. <laughs> they say after about about two weeks or a week and a half, you kind of get used to. I think you get smarter. I think your body gets smarter too, and you learn like where to put forth yeah. effort and where to conserve. That's... Have you done something where you've done something so long that you actually settled in, and then you you stabilize? You don't get slower anymore. You actually, you you level off, or you even get faster. Have you done something? Was the marathon to solve no, like that? I've not really done anything. Not really done anything this long. The Longest I've actually done uh, multiple days would be the Marathon de Sables, which uh-huh. is the six marathons, seven days. That was a whole complete different story. And six months before that race, I was still kicking a football around. So that yeah. was null and void. Um, I've done you know, some big training weeks where I've thrashed myself five, six, seven hours a day for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. um, just for fun to see what I could do. And, and yeah, I think your body does adapt. Um, but... Uh, but at the same time, you know, I've, my first ever and only triathlon to date was the Double Brutal Extreme Triathlon, which I didn't make it up. That's the real name of the race. It's in <laughs> North Wales. Uh, it's basically a double Ironman distant race, very uh-huh. hilly, um, 15,000 feet climbing on a bike and uh, 9,000 or 10,000 feet of climbing on the run. And that took me 35 hours nonstop. But that's like one stint and Jeez. yeah, you learn to conserve and you learn to know uh, this is too fast, I need to slow down because I'm, this is not going to be beneficial to me in a few hours time. But in yeah. regards to multiple stage stuff and multiple days, no I've, ne- no, I've not done anything anywhere near this. I want to challenge but you know, that's... That's myself. It's part of it. I want myself as much as I can to get out of my comfort zone. And why I do all this crazy stuff and these ultra endurance things is to inspire others to get out of their comfort zone. And, and hopefully, I can get a few people, not just necessarily in the fitness or health world, but you know, in everyday life. So, someone yeah. wants to do a something in their, their life, like a, you know, maybe take a painting class. Oh, I always want to paint. Well, go out and do it. If I can go from Morocco to Monaco in 12 days, you can sign up to a class and learn how to paint, you know, something like that. Yeah, it's kind of I I do a lot of that too. You know, I do the the self-supported Ironman every year and I did I started doing it because it's crazy. And um I was way in over my head and I was the first one to tell people I'm in over my head. <laughs> but I'm going to try it oh, and I'm going to figure out how to do this totally self-supported and if I can do if I can do this then um 
not only it, it's two it's twofold you know then i can do yeah. i can i've just taught myself i can do a whole lot more than i thought i could and then also you can too like there's so much that people just rule out that they um uh they think they can't do like i i get to work and i've already swam or biked or ran or something like that and they're like, yeah. I could never get up early in the morning and do it. And I always just look them straight in the face. And I said, you could if you decided you had to. Not if you had to, oh, well, but if you it. decided you had to. It's You have to decide you want to do something. Or get inspired, right? Like what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, that's it. And, you know, I, I speak uh, motivational speaking things. Like that, and I talk about a comfort zone like it's a hula hoop around your waist. And everyone likes to be right in the middle of that hula hoop, that comfort zone. And it's mm-hmm. – it's nice. It's it's comfortable. But when we start pushing to the edge of that hula hoop and our and our sort of our hips touch that hoop, we're like, "Oh, hang on, that's that's a little bit too far. I'm going to take a step back." But it's it's the people who succeed in life, and it's the people who really want to achieve things when they hit that end of that hula hoop and they thrust it forward and they move forward. So their comfort zone moves ahead. Yeah. So now they've got a new comfort zone, but it's further along, or it's higher, it's faster. You know, it's than it was before and that's you know that's that's a big thing in life i think with trying to convince inspire others to be able to push themselves to make that comfort zone better higher further longer than what it was before and you don't keep the hula hoop in the air by staying in the middle of it you got to push the edges of it constantly that's how you keep that alive yeah the uh let's talk about um your training and then uh what you're uh doing i mean this this is a whole this is <laughs> this is really amazing stuff. This is so I'm so glad to have you on. And it was funny getting you on the air. Um, on the how many emails do you think we had back and forth? I think Gmail kept count. Um, yeah, we need to check that. Because uh, that, that was yeah. just uh, forty, and I think forty-two now. Forty-two exchanges That's back it. and forth trying to get us lined up, right? And what's funny? Exactly. This almost always happens. The attitude of um, of ultra endurance athletes is is so classic hey uh hey uh, let's do an interview okay um all right i'm available uh this time all right and then something happens right um hey couldn't yeah. make it had something come up um what about this time and and it's like okay and then a little while later hey now the other person says hey i can't make it this is going to conflict what about this time and you go okay I'm swear, I swear to God, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this email exchange. It says 40 on it. It's got in parentheses 40 back and forth. You and I talking, and then uh, <laughs> before finally something happened, and then uh, but no ultra endurance athletes, the patience and it not being, um, you know, the goal, right? The goal is to get Luke on, and the uh, the patience and obstacles are of no. No consequence whatsoever, because the goal in mind is to get Luke on, and then a little, a little blip here, a little blip there. You're still going to cross that finish line. <laughs> it's, I see this. Con- yeah, I, I interview so you many. Yourself out of that. I I interview so many, uh, you know, like elite ultra endurance athletes, and the back and forth and the patience um, of what it takes to finally get to the goal, and not giving up is is consistent with almost every single person that I talk to. It's crazy. So what is your training like when um, you've got, are you training specifically? That's off in October, right? Are, are you training for it? Yeah, yet? final week of October. That I'll... 
Yeah, of course. I've been yeah. training for this for the past three years, like okay. with, with this in mind. Yeah. Uh, so, so what does your training look like uh, now? Yeah, so this now probably much to the muchness like maybe a, uh, an average an Ironman athlete who just wants to get around, um, doing a few swims a week, a few bikes, right. uh, and a few runs type of thing. Nothing, nothing too crazy. You know, I don't want to peak too early, but I do have a few fun little events and fun little things I'm going to be doing uh, throughout the year. It's sort of like little mini training blocks. Like Friday, I fly out to Mallorca, um, just mm-hmm. off the off the coast of mainland Spain. I'm going to do some cycling out there. There's a 105 mile uh, race that uh, is quite hilly. So I'm going to go out there and do four days of cycle, cycling and you know, three or four days of swimming in the ocean. And, and then uh, in uh, June, I'm going to go and cycle the, the, the route of the Paris de Roubaix cycling race, which is uh, like 250Ks. I'm going to do that with some friends over two days just because it's such an iconic race and oh, I cool. thought that would be cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you know, I've got little mini training camps uh, put along here and there and stuff like that. But once I sort of get to like um, June, July, uh, end of July, end of June, start of July, I'm really going to be, you know, making sure that I tick off these little mini training blocks I'm doing, where I'll be focusing on probably two sports at a time, but doing quite high mileage. So, you know, doing like a hundred. 150 miles a day cycling for three or four days with uh-huh. a couple of hours of run off the bike and then I'll have a few days recovery and then I might do, uh, you know, two hours of swimming every day for a week with three-hour run, four-hour run after the swim. So I'll have these like mini, mini training blocks. But for the next couple of months, it's just about being consistent in swim, bike, run and gym work and taking care of myself and just building that nice little base again and, and then um, for about three months out, go mental and try not to break myself. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, there's uh, my buddy Rich Roll has said many times, um, and to me personally, you know, it's not about, he'll tell anybody this because uh, he's done Ultramans. It's not about who goes the fastest. It's about um, who's got the fastest easy speed <laughs> and yeah. and doesn't slow down, right? Because oh. you can go easy all day long, day after day after day. You've got to train yourself to uh, to get your easy speed up uh, to where it's ridiculously uh, powerful. Um, and yeah. that's a, that's a no. whole different art, you know, uh, than uh, yeah. like you were saying. Instead of drag racing, it's this it's this this volume so that your easy gets nice and fast. And then yeah, not getting yeah. injured. And just consistency, and I think the other thing you're talking about there, you know, these long things is, is the mental fortitude, right? Of um, I've done, when you're having a hard time, you can say, oh, I've done something this hard before, and I lived, and I was fine the next day. So just keep going; it's not that bad yet. And if you have a lot of that in your mental suitcase, then you you can keep going. No, well, that's it, and. You talk to any endurance athlete and especially ultra endurance athlete and they'll say, what's the hardest? What's the thing about you that's the strongest? And I'd say nine nine out of ten athletes will say their mind. It's it's all about the yeah. the mentality of, of the athletes, the mental approach they take and just how tough they are, you know, uh, between the years where, mm-hmm. you know, my double Ironman, I was out there and... 
I'd been going for 24 hours and I knew I'd still had about nine or 10 hours to go of running. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd just climbed a mountain and straight off the bike and now I had to run for all day. And some people might go, you know what? I've been going nonstop for 24 hours. This is enough. I've, I'm done. But, you know, you take those, you do whatever you need to do. You take those little steps. You make those little goals. You play little tricks. Um, my favorite my favorite game is I pretend I win 100 million pounds or 100 million dollars. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And I go out and spend every cent, every cent of it. And I don't leave details. I, I put all the details right down to, you know, the color of my bedside dresser in, in the mansion I bought by the beach, you know, and stuff like that. So that's a good time. That's a good little trick that, that I used to. And I've gone about six hours where I've just, the time's disappeared. And I've been thinking about how I'm going to spend all this money, who I'm oh, going to give it to. I get you. This type saying. of stuff. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So my. It's positive. It's good fun. It's positive thinking, and it it makes time go by fast. It takes your mind off of of what you're doing, and um, yeah, yeah exactly. that's a and really good it, trick. Wow! And if you buy, if you buy a lottery ticket the next day and you win a hundred million pounds, then you know what you're going to spend yeah. it on already. You've got it all planned out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the, it. The hardest thing I've ever done was a hundred mile um, trail run, and I, I'd never done you know. I'd done a 50 before that a couple times and it was so hard and I survived. I lived through it. Um, and I actually did okay ish, you know, I didn't do terrible. I did. I felt terrible and I looked terrible, but you know, I did okay. Like results wise. And, um, and I always have that to look back on as like, I lived through that, you know? And so if I'm doing like an Ironman, and I feel like crap. I'm like, okay, do I feel as bad as I did during that 100 miler? No. <laughs> so keep okay. keep walking. Yeah, I mean, at least you may get sick if you start running, or it may hurt too much to run. But you can always keep walking. You know, you can always keep putting forth at least that much effort to keep going. And you may feel better, you know, in a little while too. No, that's that's yeah. the thing. But you're right. You, you've got to be able to draw on those past experiences to keep you moving forward on, mm-hmm. on a new challenge that you've set yourself or a new bar that you've raised so high that you think, oh, you know, this is this is my limit right now. Well, hang on. Is it really? Have I done this before? No, but I, I, I survived that last one. So why can't I push a little bit harder and see if I can survive this one? And, and I think drawing on those past experiences is, is a huge thing for any endurance athlete uh, and, or anyone that's just taking a taking a step into endurance sports, you know, not even just athletic mm-hmm. feats but everyday life. You know, we've all been through troubles and, and things like this and, and, you, and you've got through it. Yeah. And you can use those yeah. sort of heartaches and, and those tough times in everyday life to help you through endurance sports and it really does help. Oh, it's interesting that a lot of people that get into endurance sports um, are using it either either to a, to find something either for a new challenge or they miss a challenge that is mm. uh, they've had a hard time in life and they're drawn to uh, but they found uh, by doing by the the hard time in life that they had earlier really did reveal you know like their their true abilities that they were able to survive something so hard. And then endurance sports is kind of like a safe zone to expose yourself to something difficult all over again. Cause you kind of miss in a weird way. You kind of miss the challenge 
of whatever was really hard in life, but it did improve you, even though it sucked. And then it's like a it's like a nice safe container, like a sandbox where you can, you know, really push yourself, get pushed again. But you know, there's medical aid, <laughs> and, there, and there's other people. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like you know, to kind of measure yourself, like, oh, that guy, uh, I think he he passed out, so maybe I ought to maybe I ought to hold back a little bit so I don't pass out too. But um, let's talk a little bit about uh, your gear and your. Mm-hmm. Um, like a specific specific um training and, and then also your your fueling and nutrition for this kind of stuff so uh let's yeah, talk about gear what do you what do you uh what are you riding for a bike on this and what do you ride as your do you ride a mix of road bike and mountain bike and triathlon i bike don't or? own a mountain bike unfortunately i only bought a a bike two and a half years ago before that uh-huh. i'd only ever rode around on a little bike as a kid so my cycling career is very short, even though you know I've I've done quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I I'm at the moment I ride a. a hey, you're back. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Yeah, we lost you there for a second. All right. You were telling me about what kind of bike you are riding. Um, yeah. So yeah. currently, I ride a, a Focus, a Zalco Pro. It's my first ever bike. Um, bought it two and a half years ago. I'd never really rode any sort of racing bike before, and I love it. I think it's cool. Uh-huh. Uh, but I am speaking with a few bike companies at the moment to uh, try and get them on board because I'm still looking for sponsorship for the Ultimate Triathlon. And, uh-huh. um, you know, because it's being filmed and streamed online at, like, at different times throughout the day, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. But, um, yeah, so I'm talking to a few companies and seeing I've got no experience on bikes and. If it feels good and it rides smooth, then hey, you know, it looks good to me. But that's what I'm on at the moment. Okay. Are you gonna put like uh, clip-on bars on the on the bike, and where are you keeping all your water and your and your fuel and stuff when you go ride? Uh, during the ultimate triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna have a crew with me that'll that'll come along. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, but basically, for the days, I, I will mostly carry everything myself and mm-hmm. uh, just in my jerseys and stuff and i'll have a couple of bottles but probably once or twice a day i'll just pull over and they'll throw throw me an extra bottle and chuck that on and, and i'll go from there so it's not going to be too like i know it sounds really weird but it is only 200 miles and you know you don't need stupid amounts of food to eat just mm-hmm. as long as you know i've got some in my back jersey and if, if it is a bit warm then I'll, I'll get an extra bottle but you know i'm quite happy to carry a couple of liters of water and a couple of jersey pockets full of food and, and go from there cool and then uh for recovery uh every night and then and in the morning and eating what do you what kind of food you plan on eating this whole time you eat bowls of spaghetti or you got like no, kind man. of nutrition I, plan or what Oh, my my food! I'm big with my food. Right. I eat only real food, real food. Okay. Nothing processed, nothing out, out of a packet. I make my own energy bars, maltodextrin, oh. all those sugary gels and stuff. It's you don't need it. It's nasty. We've been tricked by all the nutrition companies to say that we need this and that. It's all rubbish. Uh, so I eat, yeah, real food. I bake all my own energy bars with ground nuts and seeds and um, yeah, and different flowers that are that are from nuts and stuff like that. Uh, and I make my own gels with uh, chia seeds uh-huh. and water and other liquids and things like this. And I bake loaves that are, you know, my double Ironman. I'd come into 
uh, you know, transitioner and say, I'll have a sun-dried tomato and, and olive loaf with some avocado spread on it. And, you know, there's a guy coming past me going, I need six gels, I need six gels. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm, having, I'm eating real food and, you know, I'm fine. And eating real food on these long challenges helps my recovery and helps me get through each day because I'm getting all the vital nutrients and minerals that I need, that my body needs, that my muscle needs, that my cells even need because yeah. I'm smashing them to pieces going so long. So, yeah, for an example, I did a 80-mile trail run in August. Six weeks later, I did 35 hours of double Ironman triathlon. 48 hours after that six-week block, mm-hmm. My body felt like I'd done nothing. I had no soreness, no nothing, because the whole time I ate real food. So yeah. it helps me with my recovery. But, um, but yeah. So when I'm on the bike, I'll be uh, and running. I'll be eating these homemade sort of bars that I make that are really simple. Some are raw, some are baked in the oven. Very simple. Um, and yeah, just been doing that, eating avocados and and seeds and nuts and things like this. And I've trained myself over the last couple of years to eat this type of food. Yeah. And then at the end of each day, I don't know, I haven't, haven't created a menu yet because, you know, I'm a big cook. But, yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a mix of, uh, you know, things like quinoa or amaranth and things like that, which is high in protein and, and, and complex carbohydrates and some nice good fats from seeds, nuts, avocados, oils and this and that and uh, some nice lean protein from, from different sources. Um yeah, I'll, you know, I'll have a massage, I'll probably have an ice bath and I'll have some compression kit, kit that I'll put on and do a few interviews with people who are interacting with me online as we go along each day and, and then try and get to bed and get as much sleep as I can for my recovery. Yeah, I, I had a big training day on Sunday and when I was done, I was just demolished. I didn't I didn't drink enough water. I got really dehydrated and uh, so that ended up having me dig a little deeper than I wanted to and uh, so I was sitting there at the house going... Man, I had a choice, you know. I could go get some crap food or I could go get some healthy food. And the crap food's faster. <laughs> so, but instead, I went and I went to this burrito shop that's nearby and it's hand cooked and you get to hand pick all the all everything you want on as big a burrito as you want. So you can just load it up with veggies and guacamole and all kinds of great stuff, you know. And yeah. uh oh man, I I recovered so fast that the very next uh, the next morning, I was out swimming and just swimming along and feeling like I'd done nothing the day before. It was amazing the difference that quality food made with how fast I recovered. Yeah, people don't understand how you know they think. Oh, if I have an ice bath, if I wear a compression kit after after I train or race, if I you know if I get good sleep and stuff, this is this is all a piece to the puzzle. It's not. It's not done you know food is a massive 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 piece of this puzzle and if you can eat well before you train or before you race and if you can eat well during and then you eat well after then the, you're not fighting against the body like when you put all this sugary rubbish and crap like gels maltodextrin that all these companies pump full of it um your body doesn't like that it's artificial it's made in a lab it's not even real food it's not even real anything you know yeah and uh yeah, and if you your body's going to recover. Let's say in your case, right? But people can you know knock this down to a more uh, average perspective. But in your case, you're uh, let's say what do you think an average day is on the bike at 200 miles? What is that like? Um, Ten, shoot, is like 12 hours probably on the bike a day. So that's uh, 
that's yeah. that's twelve hours of of let's say uh, of that's twelve hours of getting in vitamins and minerals and all kinds of food that and fiber and food that you actually things you actually need. And if you were doing mm. that just on synthetic, that's what it synthetic Gels. crap. Then you're um, you're missing out on all that. And after just God, what do you think? Like two days, you think you you would just implode. Your body would yeah, say, "I don't have enough vitamin this or, or mineral that," and then bam, you'd be down. Well, there was a there was a tweet that I that someone that I followed on on Twitter that that retweeted uh, a photo of that one of these big. Uh, new sports nutrition companies put out. They're saying, you know, you need to have a gel every 30 minutes of of medium to moderate to exercise, moderate to hard exercise, and stuff like that. And anyway, so my friends and I worked out what I would need to have. Basically, basically, and we're talking like 80 gels a day. Oh, you know, God, like, that's disgusting. They're talking about three three an hour and this and that yeah. and. You know, we're talking 80, 80 in a week or something like that. And I was like, man, you know what? No way in hell. No thanks. No, you can train yourself, right? Like you're saying, eat avocado and uh, and dates yeah. and whatever else, well, unless, and then you're fine. Unless you're going on your rev limit mm-hmm. for a big, big period of time, like you know, the elite Ironman athletes, like they're they're on their limit all day. Mm-hmm. All day, and there are—I wouldn't necessarily say just like the crappy gels that you can buy for like a dollar or whatever—but there are foods that you know you you can get through if you're doing that. But for the majority of Ironman athletes, and especially endurance athletes, you don't need all this synthetic stuff. You can get it from real food, and there's now you know so many more, especially ultra runners who are just moving towards the real food and. And not having all this artificial stuff, and it's one of those things where if you've never tried it, how do you know if it works or not? And then if you find something that doesn't work, well, try something else. That's how I got to where I am now. My yeah. my first race of marathon to subs, I ate gels and ate the energy bars and drank the sugary recovery drinks and all that rubbish, and I didn't know any different. But I was like, you know what? There's got to be another way. When I spent time in Nepal and lived with some of the elite ultra marathon runners high up in the mountains there. They're eating real food. They're having chickpeas for breakfast. They're taking little bananas on runs and they'd have little seeds and nuts and mm-hmm. they're going for days. They're doing like um, 150 miles a week of running and they feel fine. Well, yeah. They don't have and, any jobs. And you're talking about, this, like you said, an average training week for Ironman uh, is yeah, like 15 hours a week, right? So that's 15 hours yeah. of, of burning calories where – it's not it's not just the racing it's the day what I'm saying is it's the day in and out of training where you're not you're you're missing you're not only eating crap you're also missing um stuff that you do need and uh exactly. yeah and so if you can learn to um at least if anything learn to train on good quality real food um and then uh, you know and then if you're doing high speed racing then you can eat the um uh, like you said, you're at the at the red line limit. Then for short periods of time, then then the processed stuff is it's hard to match. But it's like rocket fuel, and you don't want to sit around eating rocket fuel all the time before you're just day in day out stuff. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But you know, also try like yeah, that's what training's all about. You know, I've I know I've never done an Ironman. As I said, I've only ever done one triathlon, the double Ironman, 
in North Wales, but I've got Ironman friends who do that. You know, they train on real food and, and they'll do their little race pace cycles and this stuff and whatever and, you know, I've tagged along with them and, and then they, they practice on the gels. I'm like, why don't you practice on something else, you know? And I had one, one friend who would mash up bananas with a little bit of honey with some water and made sort of a bit of a jelly thing like that and he went, actually, I feel all right. So <laughs> he, he made like his own sort of gel with real food and he went out and his next yeah. Ironman race, he did a PR yeah. and he was like, for me personally, I don't need it because he trained like that and he practiced it and that's what, what training is all about, trying new things. You do it with you know, a new bike, you do it with a new type of uh-huh. uh, set or how many minutes or on, in a different gear, you try that. You, you know, different swim sets, you different kit when you swim. Why don't we try it with food? Not different flavors from a different company, but real food. If it doesn't work, at least you try it. But if it does work, boom, your body's going to go, thank you, mama, for the rabbits. I love you. You're yeah. putting real food into me. Yeah, because a banana's got a whole lot more in it than a gel does, like as far as nutrition goes. Yeah. So, but you know, you've yeah. got to test these things out for yourself individually. True. Well, let's talk about your, um, how people are going to follow you. You said you got to, you're, you're hoping. Do you have a TV crew lined up yet? Or how are you going to, and you're going to answer questions every night? That's, I think that's really cool. Um, yeah. So, so basically, yeah. the ultimate triathlon is, uh, yeah, swim, bike, run from Morocco to Monaco. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be filmed and it's going to be streamed throughout different parts of the day live. Mm-hmm. But there's also going to be loads of sort of like little promo uh, clips of each day. So, filmed footage is going to be edited and chopped down and thrown on, on the site, the, the ultimate triathlon.co. And people can interact with me by social media. There'll be people screaming at me, you know, you say someone sends me a tweet, they can tell me someone someone said, Well done, you're looking good and whatever, and I can, you know, respond and they can they can reply to that. But mm-hmm. you know, before the start of each day, maybe even, you know, halfway along on the run, or if I have a bit of a stop on the bike to refill, we'll have a bit of a chat um online and and have a chat to some people. But at the end and start of each day, there'll be Skype and there'll be video chats where people can come in and, and ask questions and we'll do sort of a, a period of Q&A on Twitter and other social media sites and things like this. So it's going to be really interactive. It's all about me getting from Morocco to Monaco, but you know, having this journey with as many people as I can via the internet. You know, yeah. and, and it's nothing like this has ever been done before. It's going to be so interactive. It's going to be so much fun that... I just want to share this journey and, and, and share this opportunity that I've created myself with as many people as I can to come along for the, uh, excuse upon the ride with me. <laughs> yeah, it makes it a lot more fun. I'm doing a, um, a self-supported Ultraman uh, this fall, and um, I'm inviting other people to come with me, and, and uh, we, you know, we're going to tweet it and live cast it of sorts. You know, whatever, whatever we can get fit in. It's hard to do. And um, the having people along with you is so much of the fun, you know. It takes yeah. c- kind of the edge off a little bit, and uh, you're in there. It kind of is a. It makes it more like a team effort, and let's all try to get yeah, this done. Like- yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'll have a, I'll have a crew with me uh, yeah. that'll be there every day for twelve days. Um, medical crew, obviously. Uh, and just a few, few friends who will be there help me out and yelling at me if I start slowing down. But also, <laughs> I'm, work, yeah. uh, I'm working with a big university in London called Roehampton University. And 
and um, I've been testing, doing some testing, physiological testing with them and starting uh-huh. some psychological testing as well. So making sure I train enough, making sure we find the right levels where I need to be training at so I can progress and you know, making sure I don't eat uh, too much or, or make sure I do eat enough and, and keeping tabs on that. And, and they'll be out there as well monitoring me along the way. And uh, so that's another another element to this to this challenge. Oh, yeah. And, I'd be interested in obviously testing results like how you're going to start posting them when uh and this is for your training right? uh, yeah 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 so we i've done i've actually got a, my second swim test tomorrow so um then that'll be the second test of second a lot of battery of tests i've done this year i'm doing every other month and we, we might publish some just before uh, when we can get some nice data and some graphs and stuff so people can see where i've come from and where i am at the time and then, obviously, throughout the throughout the twelve days, we'll be we'll be looking at uh, you know a few different things, and then post post race as well. I have a few uh, tests done as well, so some bloods taken and things like this, and see what it's done to my body, which is probably not going to be all that pretty, but you know, all for the love of science. <laughs> well, you get, you're going to be pushing yourself to finish, and not taking it too easy. So yeah, over time, that'll kind of wear you down. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested to see your testing results as you're progressing. Um, that's pretty cool that you you would be able to see, you know, your gradual improvement as you get to um, as you get to the start line. Is that is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so things like, for an example, is like my uh, like lactate threshold and things mm-hmm. like that, where we measure quite quite easily when you have the equipment and you know I go in and do one week uh, uh, some tests on the treadmill and the next week I do some tests on 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 a stationary bike and the next week like tomorrow I'm going to be in the pool so I'm going to be doing uh, some I think tomorrow is a progressive set of 200 meters so we've got it from the last test I do it and then I slowly have to go fast so one of the guys will walk by the side of the pool and I have to keep up with him as my pacer and every 200 meters they take some blood from my ear and I have I think a 30 second rest and then I go again and that gets progressively faster and faster and faster until um, you know I go through my lactate threshold uh, where my body can't get rid of the waste, the lactate, the waste products as, as fast as I'm getting in the oxygen, and you know, hopefully over time, that will increase, and I can see that in in swim, bike, and run, and that will be really cool. Well, that's the plan anyway. So we'll just so, have to make sure I'm training hard enough and go from there. I've done that on the uh, on the bike, you know, on a stationary bike and on the treadmill, but I've never even heard of them doing that on the swim. So you you get out. Or you, or what? And they prick your ear to get blood from your ear? Yeah, yeah. The back of the ear, it's a bit um, less evasive, and it doesn't bleed uh, as as much apparently. But yeah, so I would just swim the two hundred uh-huh. and pull up, and and I would jab my ear and squeeze squeeze it, take a little bit of blood, and then squeeze it, and then let's uh, say ready, three, two, one, off you go again, and and I head off for uh, <laughs> another two hundred, and I come back, and they do the same thing, and uh yeah so that's what that's what we're doing oh they ought to do that with a uh, endless pool and just keep ramping up the speed <laughs> that'd be funny <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah instead of got these scientists walking up and down the pool yeah. uh but uh yeah so hopefully i'll get i'll, I'll tell you what I'll, I'll tell you what i'll do i'll get a photo and yeah. they're pricking my ear tomorrow morning and oh we'll, we'll use that on the pod oh, yeah we'll use that in the podcast online and i'll tag you yeah. in cool man yeah, I'm I'm doing it tomorrow morning, and I'll make sure we get some photos. Yeah, cool. Well, we're we're getting towards the end of our time together. What what else uh, have I missed? 
have I covered everything? What what else is going on? No, good. You know, the, the Ultimate Triathlon, they're booked in for the final week of October. Uh-huh. And it's going to be 12 days as soon as I jump in. Uh, you know, I'm, it's happening either way, whether it's me and just a couple of friends or, you know, I'm trying to raise a bit more funds and some sponsorship. So if there's anyone out there that's uh, interested in, in helping me out or even coming along for the journey and, and, you know, I've got some sponsorship packages all lined up and, you know, I'm, I'm offering a lot of uh, promotion. I do a lot on social media and, and motivational speaking and things like this. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's, this has never been done before, never been streamed like this. And this route is very unique. And there are quite a lot of people who have seen me and seen this and questioned it and not sure if I'll be able to do it. But mostly those people don't know who I am and what I'm all about. And, uh, but no, it's going to happen. And if you want to find out more about me, I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. But my website's luketyberski.com. And the website for my big event is theultimatetriathlon.co. I'm on Twitter at Luke Tabersky, Facebook at Luke Tabersky, Instagram at Luke Tabersky. And I am Luke Tabersky, the adventurer. Yeah. The, uh, the course, I think, I'm just. I'm I'm really inspired by the course. I think you picked one that is is you've kind of minimized the weather aspect of you know like the coastline of the north the northern coastline of the Mediterranean is just fantastic. You know yeah. you're going to actually be able to to go and and do this without um, it being. Uh, just terrible conditions and having to deal with with you know struggling through just misery it should be like a pretty nice day like every day and you're able you're able to actually test yourself instead of have to like wonder what the weather's going to be like coming up or something and yeah the, the only thing is the wind yeah you're gonna have wind it's gonna be we'll get a bit of wind it should be dry it should yeah. be very comfortable exercising weather yeah or for lack of a better term um but the, yeah the wind could be could be pretty nasty at times and the scenery i mean just sounds fantastic right so along the coastline oh, it's gonna be yeah i said this to a friend of mine the, um three years ago i asked him he's a multiple iron man finisher he's been to kona and all that stuff and i told him about it and the first thing he said wasn't I'm crazy like my mum says I am or I, I'm a lunatic or you can't do it like all these people when I first told them said to me. The first thing he said to me was, that is an awesome route. It's just going to be like a coastal holiday except you're going to be in pain all day, every day for 12 days. So yeah. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I, there's something about that route that's just it's just perfect. It's absolutely perfect. I mean, that is just like fantastic. I love what you're doing. That is great. I could see somebody like doing um, in California, swimming, um, swimming something, and then biking, and then running along the coastline would be kind of similar, you know? Yeah, it's, it's just yeah. going to be beautiful, and, oh, wow. and that's one of the other reasons why I wanted to film it and stream it live because we're going to have so much scenery to look at and. You know, it's not just going to be me sitting on a bike. It's going to be me sitting on a bike for clips of running across this, uh, along this beautiful scenic coastline. Yeah. And then, oh, and the people you're going to run into. All the people. Oh, it's, it's going to be great. I think that could be the, the most difficult part will be getting through the town because I want to stop and chat to everyone and look yeah. at the nice villages and, 
you know, it's going to be amazing and oh, wow. it's going to be tough, don't get me wrong, but it's it's the journey. Yeah. You know, it's not about, it's not all about Monaco. It's about those 12 days and what I'm going to experience across those and it's it's going to be good fun and that's why I want to film it and stream it online and, and let everyone, you know, get as close, up close and personal to this whole ultimate triathlon as I can and, and let them be part of the journey no matter where they are in the world. Yeah. Wow. Well, all right. I hate to have to let you go because I could talk about this all day. This is fantastic. <laughs> so it's all good, yeah. man. It's all, all right. Good. Well, let's. I'll come back on once I finish it, and we can have a bit of a recap, and I can give you a play-by-play. Awesome. Let's do it. Sweet. Okay. Cool. Well, um, that's that's the end of the interview, man. How do you how do you feel? Everything all right? Yeah, perfect, Brad. I really appreciate that. Yeah, Thanks man. A lot. Yeah, it's great, man. I'm I'm uh I'm really envious of what you're doing. When you make it a uh, an official thing where you can invite more people, I I, I would come and do it on a, in a heartbeat. And uh, nice. Um, I'm I've already committed to putting on this little uh, Ultraman this fall. So yeah. uh, maybe maybe next year, maybe the year after that. Something. I'm like looking that. 2017 to okay. have a package for people to to go and do it. I'd like to have maybe three or four 12 day. Stints. I may offer it as a twelve-day doing, replicating exactly like I did, or may there is a another way I could do it for fifteen days if you still want to do it, but not kill yourself as much as what I'm trying to do. So I give people two options, but have maybe three or four or five throughout the year, and yeah. start in 2017 where I create the package, I do all the logistics and stuff, and you basically turn up and. I say, ready, go, you going from here to here today and then we rest at this place and then you go the next day and we go from here to here. So it's all done. You just got to train for it. I can help people train for it because that's you know, also what I do. But from 2017, that's the plan to offer out some places and I'll, I'll pencil you in, mate. All right. Count me in, man. It sounds awesome. Cool. Yeah, well, I'm excited for it, you. Brett, and I'll get that. I'll get that photo at the pool tomorrow with them pricking my ear and I'll put it out and I'll, I'll tag you in it. All right, cool, man. I'll talk to you later. All right, thanks, Brett. All right, bye. All right, thank you very much, Luke. And now it is time to read some letters. I got some fun ones in here. Let me start off with uh, Katie Johnson. And we got letters from Norway, Scotland, and trying to think where else. I don't know. We'll get to them here in a second. Let me order. Let me put them all in order here. All right. Katie Johnson says, Hey, Brett, exclamation point. I freaking love your podcast. The longer, the better. So don't listen to the complainers. <laughs> I get emails from people that don't like it, that a show is three hours or four hours or whatever. Um, I wish every single episode would be like eight hours long. Okay. Anyway, I'm starting training for Ironman Florida in a couple of weeks and want to try Hornet Juice. I tried to contact them with this question a few weeks ago, but I haven't heard back. So I thought I'd ask you, is Hornet Juice safe for vegans? Yes. If you're a vegan and you buy Hornet Juice, it will not attack you. Um, that's me. Uh, the ingredient list doesn't specify where the amino acids are derived from. So I wanted to check that non-animal sources are used before ordering. I, If you don't know, I totally understand. Thanks for providing such amazing content, motivation, and perspective on the art of triathlon. It is an art. It's more than a sport. It's an art of doing it and doing everything else. Okay. Uh, have a great week! Exclamation point. Katie Johnson. Okay. So I emailed Hornet Juice and asked them, uh, if it's vegan or not. And they said the protein, it is all 
plant-derived, but it's never been vegan-certified. So you can do with that what you want. Katie said that was good to know and moved forward from there. All right. Cool. All right. Now we have one from Scotland. Let me go ahead and turn on my Scottish music. And all my Scottish accents I've learned from Groundskeeper Willie on uh, The Simpsons and also um, James Bond because, uh, not Roger Moore, who's the other guy? God, he's my favorite. Uh, he's actually not English, he's Scottish. And let's go ahead, and I'm going to try to read Keith from Scotland's email in a Scottish accent. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Oh, God. I'm going to have to get going, and then I'll get there. Looking forward... Ah, there we go. Thanks, Brett. Looking forward to experimenting with this secret weapon! Exclamation point. I'd really enjoy in the podcast after a bit of hiatus due to technology problems. You've now been... Wait, you've now been on a couple of rides with me in the Scottish borders as I train to race the Keltman Extreme Scottish Triathlon again in June. www... I don't know how they say W's. Uh, com. I was second out of the water last year. With Nessie. No, I made that up. But then was demolished by the all Uber bikers and ended up with some GI issues on the run. This year, I'm better trained and hoping to be more competitive on the parts two and three of the race. Although I'll never make any placings, I know I have a personal time to beat! Exclamation point smiley face. Anyway, I thought I'd give this stuff a go. And see if it's good as you say! Exclamation point smiley face. I'm also going to try a Tom's broken into my usual fuel after hearing you talk about trail wind. Loving the podcast and now stalking you on Strava. Keep up the good work on both fronts. Exclamation point. Cheers! Keith McClure, the Clan McLeod, Scotland McLeod of the Scotland Highlands. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> That's from... Uh, uh, Highlander, where he's uh, something McLeod, the clan McLeod from the Highlands of Scotland. Anyway, Tweed Bank, Scottish Borders. All right, in uh, the music. There we go. Hope you all enjoyed that. All right, uh, Kjell Horn. I don't know how to say that. Kjell Kjell Horn from Norway. Okay, I cannot do a Nordic, a Norwegian. I cannot do a Norwegian accent. All I know is a Swedish chef. Okay, uh, talk about baseball throwing technique and speed typewriter beat. Oh, cool. Okay. This is a cool email. Um, Kjell, Kjell, Kjell says, thanks. Uh, trying to qualify for Kona age group 44 plus. Uh, struggling really with my swim. Got short arms and a terrible technique. Okay, keep that in mind, everybody. I'm going to cover that in a second. Any tips are greatly appreciated. Uh, first try this year is Zurich mid-July. I'm most qualified last year. I am Barcelona, but my body broke down as I couldn't keep any solids nor water down on the latter half of the bike. Tried the Ben Greenfield nutrition thing, which was hard on my stomach. Yeah. Uh, taking a step back nutrition wise. Okay. I got several things on this. Uh, swim technique. If you have short arms, you probably, this is all probably, this is like my news, uh, segment. <laughs> Take it with a grain of salt. Um, you probably need to um, consider that uh, with shorter arms, you do higher RPM. That's your best technique. Uh, people with long arms, um, 
have more arm to swing around so they can do a lower RPM and get away with it and don't need to try to do such high RPM. Okay, and then also um, swim like you're throwing a baseball overhand and you know how you push off with your leg and swing your other arm down and swing your other your throwing arm up over your head? You throw your arm over your head. You throw it like that. You throw it in that momentum. You push off against the water with one side and you throw your arm up over the top with the other side like you're throwing a baseball or throwing a football over and over and over and over and over again. Swimmers get baseball injuries, baseball pitcher injuries from the overhand throw because that's how you do it. So... Um, but you need to do it both sides or at least one side and kind of with the other and work on that, uh, overthrow hard. Uh, a lot of swimmers set their arms down into the water and it's a total loss of momentum. You throw your arm overhead and let your arm slap down hard in the, in, in front and enter hard. And let's see, um, to speed up your cadence, uh, just gradually speed up your cadence every swim until you get it to a nice beat. Do a little bit of Googling and figure out the range, uh, you know, like 60 RPM or something like that. You get little devices that'll tick, 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 tick next to your goggles so you can hear them and you can speed up your cadence. That'll make you faster. Um, there was this really cool thing they did when I was learning how to type in high school in the eighties and the teacher would play music with a beat and, um, we would spend half an hour, I don't know, however long, um, my teacher was really good looking, so I didn't spend that much time paying attention to the typewriter. I was watching the teacher. But we would type along the uh, with the beat of the music, and over time, the beat of the music would move up. I'm talking about over a semester. You know, it would move up, and you know, from 30 beats a minute to 60, you know, to 90. I remember by the end, I was typing 90 words per minute, and the teacher would go and play. <laughs> she would play back what we were playing with originally at the beginning of the year. And it was so slow, you know, but you have to progress through that. So, uh, that's a cool trick right there and proof that it can work. Um, getting sick towards the end of the bike. Yeah, I have that a lot too. And what you need to do is do long rides and work on fueling on the bike and, how much fuel you can eat and what kinds of things you can eat. Um, I've learned over the years that fructose makes my stomach hurt. Um, and it does the same thing for a lot of people. So I talk about that in the training log and, um, yeah. And definitely before you start running, don't eat anything for half an hour on the, on the bike. And I think that's about it. And a lot of times you just have to slow down on the bike. That's another sad fact that you, uh, you need to face. And, um, Nick Pike sent in an email and he said, hi, Brett. Thanks. Can't wait to try the Hornet juice. Love the podcast question. What's the best way to deal with riding flat, uh, or false flats into a headwind? I can ride well on inclines and challenging hill sections, but get dropped on the flats by more powerful riders. These same guys I'm crushing on hills. Is this just a case of building power or is it technical in the way I'm riding? Actually, Nick, uh, it is physics and it's not your fault okay (sighs) more powerful riders that drop you on the flats um weight is not a penalty for them and wind also is not a penalty for them and you drop them going uphill because weight is not a penalty to you like it is for them if you're describing the situation correctly um it sounds like you're smaller and uh 
these uh, guys uh, out outpace you on the outpace you on the flats, and you actually take them on the hills, right? Okay, so um, wind is similar to hills, except gravity is not involved, and um, gravity has much more influence than wind resistance when when uh, you're comparing difficulty. Um, so. The best thing, the only thing that you can do is on, uh, is get a power meter and make sure that when you're riding on flats uh, into a headwind that you're not uh, generating too much power and wearing yourself out. That is a big thing. And to get as arrow as possible and also learn to draft the legal distance uh, which is 32 feet, 34 feet, um, off of, off behind them. And I did it in my last race and it really, really works. Um, it's much easier to stay with somebody, um, even drafting the legal distance of 12 meters or 10 meters. I don't know. So, uh, that's the best I can give you. You're, you're actually just dealing with the reality of physics in that a big, powerful guy will outride you on the flats, but when it goes uphill, you'll outride him on the hills. And uh, the best option is say, hey, let's go ride some hills today, like that, and then uh, then it won't be a problem anymore. Okay. Um, the list here is uh, show donations. Um, Brett Hoyer donated to the show. Daniel Stark donated to the show. Melissa Boudot donated. And Michael Rad- Radogna sent in a donation, and Ken Soderquist sent in a donation, Erica Dennison and Il Senor, both set, El Senor, sent in donations. Thanks a lot, guys, and you can support Zen and Yarda Triathlon yourself by going over to the left-hand side of the page, zentriathlon.com. Go over there, and you can set up PayPal, donations, and if you find awesome stuff on the show that really helped your training, and... Uh, change the way you approach triathlon, uh, consider giving back because it helps the show stay on the air. I really appreciate it. Those donations really do mean a lot to me. And if you donate, then I read your questions on the air. I'm happy to do it, answer them for everybody to hear the answers. And let's go ahead and talk about the stages of enlightenment. This is really fun stuff. I came across... uh, I didn't come across this. I've learned this over the years, but the um, I came across some videos of people talking about it. That I thought were pretty interesting, so I thought it was worth talking about on the show. And there's uh, at least several stages to enlightenment, and we'll start off with one. One is the first stage is becoming aware that you are an ego. This is really interesting. You are. Your manifestation, what you see in the world and how you feel about things and your opinions and everything are not real. <laughs> so they're, you're a bag of chemicals and organs wrapped in skin walking around on a planet, on, on uh, flying around a sun in a solar system and in an uninteresting part of the galaxy and an uninteresting part of the universe. So the way you see things is really a construction in your mind to help you deal with with everything that's going on around you. So um, it's all constructed. It's like a virtual reality uh, that your mind has assembled uh, sensory input 
that's really ev- everything is just sensory input. What you're seeing in front of you is not in front of you. It's actually light. Uh, it's actually signals from your light from your that your eyes picking up light, and then your body turns that into electrical current and then the electrical current goes to your brain and your brain goes okay that thing over there that's a black car because on your retina i'm seeing a black dot um, that's moving over there and from experience that tends to be a black car so um, it has been before so i kind of think that's a black car and that's what we're going to go with right now there's not a you can take, uh, this is why uh, hallucinatory drugs work, because it messes with your mind and makes you th- see things that aren't really there, but you believe they're there because it's all a virtual reality that's going on in your mind. It's crazy stuff, but it's actually all true. <laughs> I'm not even getting into, into Zen or anything there. That's just, that's just uh, physics and chemistry and, and biomechanics, I don't know, not biomechanics, but biology. Um, so... Once you realize that, um, then the next step is realizing that um, your ego, this thing that feels the need to create, not create, but deal with things a certain way and it has to have this and it needs that and it feels sadness or anger or frustration is um, all... Um, it's all reactions to, um, this reality, this virtual reality that your brain and your body is, uh, experiencing. So now we're going, okay, step one is, is, uh, you, (laughs) your personality, you, the you that is you is a construct of your mind and, uh, it's no coincidence that it's the center of your own universe. That's the way biology wants it so that you'll survive. Um, so there's that. And then you move to the next step where this all this construction is, um, is... Hold on a second. All right, I'm back. Yeah, I'm back. Sorry, I'm in a parking lot and somebody about backed into my car. <laughs> that black car. <laughs> okay. Oh, man, this is this is hard to explain. It's so simple once you get it, but it's hard it's hard to explain for a second. The um how you how you feel and what you want and your goals and everything else is a construct from what you're seeing at, from your ego. Okay, so that's step 2. Which is just realizing you haven't even done anything, done anything that yet. Um, these are just realizations, and then step three is realizing that how you react to things is a choice, right? And you can see this every day. Um, if I walk up to a person that is, uh, I can walk up to two different people and say the exact same thing and I will get two different reactions out of them. And whether they know it or not, that's a choice, right? If somebody calls me on the phone and says, hey, um, you're really ugly, I want to punch you in the face, I have a choice of how I respond, right? So that's the next step is realizing it's a choice 
And then the third step is being able to choose your choice. And that's a big thing in Zen Buddhism is to pause and choose an appropriate response. They say that in itself is enlightenment. And it's actually really possible. I would say that it goes one more step further because, oh, if you make the right choices, life all of a sudden becomes a whole lot easier. Imagine if you made the right choice all the time, right? You invested when you were supposed to. You didn't get into that fight with somebody. You didn't send that email, but you did uh, take this one class and you didn't um, uh, let your handlebars get too slick and then wreck on your bike, for example, right? You made everything's, most things are choices and then your life can be a whole lot easier. Okay, so then there's another step that I would propose, because um, this isn't all that clear, is making the last stage of enlightenment would be making the right choice most of the time, let's say 90% of the time, right? Then you've got things pretty much uh, rounded out and it's nice. Um, a lot of us have moments of enlightenment where you see how things work and you see the result of a good choice and everything becomes clear uh, briefly, right? Um, there's two different paths in uh, Zen Buddhism, or I don't know if it's in Zen Buddhism, but in Buddhism, and it's like permanent enlightenment versus kind of temporary enlightenment. And I like the temporary one because that's the one I experience a lot. <laughs> and that's where you're like, oh, I get it. Ah, oh, cool. And all enlightenment means, means um, awake, right? That's uh, Bud is Pali or, or um, Hindu. I don't know what language it is, but it, Buddha means the awakened one. All it just means is that you woke up and you're like, oh, and it's just like being in a dark room and turning on the light, right? And you go, oh, that's where everything is in the room. Okay, I get, I get how this life is laid out. I get what I have to do and I get how that was dumb and this is smart, right? That's all it is. And you see the a better way of doing things right? And um, when you turn on a light in a room, is it on forever? Uh, it could be, right? But that's a lot of faith right there. Uh, usually your kid comes in a few minutes behind you and turns that light off, <laughs> in my experience. So you can, um, I, 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 uh, I prescribe, ascribe to the belief that, the, um, that they're temporary flashes, but with practice and a little bit of, of pausing and then making the right choice and looking to make sure that you're clear on things and how things work, that um, you can get it uh, more and more frequently and then be... And what happens in the end is um, you your life just gets more orderly and things make more sense and that's it. And that's enlightenment. That's all. But the first step is you have to realize that the you that you think is you is not you. That um, you're, it's the difference of, of watching television and somehow thinking that you're inside the TV participating with what's going on, right? And that it's real or stepping outside of the TV and realize that you're watching a play, you know, a TV show, a sitcom or whatever, and that you can turn it off, turn it on, or change the channel, right? That's the big difference right there. And when Tawny and I were talking on the last episode of um, 
the Zendurance Project, that um, I, I mentioned this, I believe, towards the beginning, in that I know um, that I have things to fix. And that's the, that's the biggest step, right? Walking around thinking that you don't have any problems and that uh, you're, you don't uh, need, you couldn't use help and that you're doing everything right is egocentric. It's me, me, me. I'm doing things the right way, right? And um, that's where, and you can tell when I'm talking with Tawny, I'm like, uh, it's confusing to, to people on the outside, but uh, where I'm like, I'm very uh, confident in myself and how I'm talking, but I'm confident in that I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> right? And I don't know what I'm doing because I'm me and I can't see from outside of me at me and to get help to see is what Tawny is helping doing. And yeah, that's how it works. It's pretty cool. So that's our little uh, Zen moment of the, um, of the podcast. And uh, uh, many Zen uh, experts will tell you that enlightenment is nothing more than appropriate response. That's it. Master that and you are there. There's also, I should mention, a lot of confusion over enlightenment in general um, because somehow as it's been um, carried over here to the West... We think that uh, being enlightened is just uh, is it a magical experience, and to say that you're enlightened is a um, is really like is, is like saying you have magical superpowers, and that um, you you would have to practice and train for a. Uh, 30 years, 40 years and go meditate in a cave eating crickets or something like that uh, to become enlightened. And um, the people that invented the religion, <laughs> the, the philosophy, <laughs> said, no, that's not how it works. And if you go over to the East, um, lots of people all the time all around you will say that they're enlightened. It's, it's, um, it's a cultural thing over here to, to think of, of, of it as some kind of like super special thing. It's not whatsoever. Again, all it is is going, oh, I get it. I see how, I see how things work and that I've been uh, drawn in and thinking that I'm the most important thing in the world and that... Um, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. And there are um, also, it's there, there's people that are enlightened that don't even know anything about any enlightenment whatsoever. They just understand, uh, they just get it. Um, they talk about dogs being enlightened, you know, dogs, cats, fish, whatever, because they just do what they're supposed to do. And they don't think too much about stuff and think that they're the center of the universe. They just do. A dog does dogging, right? And and that's where the saying is, uh, after enlightenment, uh, chop wood. Carry water and chop wood. That means once you get it, go back to living your life again. It's it's nothing uh, special or magical. So don't think that um, you can do it. That you can't, don't think that you can't do it or that it's something special reserved for people that go off on uh, retreats you know, half the year or live in a monastery or something like that. It's easily available to everybody all the time. And like I said, um, you have flashes of it all the time. And it's just uh, making the flashes stick around a little bit more. 
and also being a, putting your hand on the switch and your hand on the TV remote so that you can actually control it a little bit more. And that's that. Like I had a, I had a moment of enlightenment and then also remembering them and maybe writing them down. I had a moment of enlightenment I'll share with you guys where I was reading something or watching something about Iron Man. Somebody asked me a question. Yeah, somebody asked me a question about how uh, they said, go out and uh, on Twitter. It was a really nice comment, by the way. On Twitter, they said, go out and uh, destroy uh, Iron Man Texas. And um, I don't think they said destroy, but they, you know, like wreck it out there. Like have a great time, like kill it. And and I, I thought about it for a minute. And as I was typing my response and typing is great, writing things down because you have to condense your thoughts down into words to communicate them to somebody else. And when you do that, you have to summarize like what you think. And then it makes you rethink what you're thinking and then go, oh, that's how I think. And I, I wrote back something like, uh, it's not so much that you do an Iron Man. It's more like an Iron Man does you. <laughs> they are, and I think you could get so good. You could be like a top level pro and go out and an Iron Man, you know, like you've really got a grasp on it. So these people that can actually, um, when you talk to pros and they they race the bike and they respond to attacks and things like that and they know what they're doing with all that and they've got their nutrition nailed down okay they're doing an ironman right they're racing an ironman like you and I would race a 5k you know or a 10k where you're 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 able to handle it in a way where you're in control okay but for 99% of us we don't do ironmans <laughs> Iron Man's do us. You go out there and the whole goal is really to go as slow and easy as you possibly can so the Iron Man doesn't kill you out there. And you just try to maintain and just not slow down. And you just you just stay the course. And when you realize that, that when you go out on the Iron Man course, you allow the Iron Man to happen to you. So you stay solid, right? You become a tree stump and and stand on it. You you take a tree stump and you stand on it and it's a low flat stump that you can't move very much on and you just kind of spread your legs shoulder width apart and just stand there and what that represents is zone 2. <laughs> and not responding to people passing you or charging up hills or whatever or ignoring your nutrition or your sunscreen or your hydration. You're just going to you're just going to park yourself right here with this effort level and this thoughtfulness. And then now you're going to let the Iron Man happen all around you and happen to you. And you just try not to get knocked off that stump, right? You ever see that where you put somebody up on a, on a chair or on a stump and then you, people try to push them over or something and that person tries to play King of the Mountain, right? So you're just going to play King of the Mountain of your little mountain on their Iron Man and let Iron Man happen to you. And then while you're doing the race... You imagine that you're you're in you're in one place and the race is like a movie experience all happening to you. It's all happening around you and everything is a choice of how you respond. And you have the time. It's a it's a long race. You have all the time in the world to choose your response to everything that happens. A guy passes you on the swim, do you draft? You got a few seconds to the side, right? Guy passes you on the bike, do you draft? You see the potential where uh, do you draft? Do you uh, yeah, do you draft? No, you don't, right? But you think about it for a second. You have a second to think about it, right? You're going through an aid your aid station's coming up. Do you take water? 
You know, it's been 20 minutes since you ate. Do you fuel or not? Everything is a choice. And you let the race happen to you and you do it as a moving meditation of responding to all the choices. And then you actually have the best chance of your best race and your best experience. It can be really intense that way if you choose to experience it that way. And when I when all this like uh, came to my mind, I'm like, oh, that's a way of... Uh, performing an Ironman, then that was a moment of enlightenment. And if what I'm saying to you right now is a brand new way of approaching a race and it's new to you and you really like it and it's really clear and something that's like, wow, I could do that, then that's a moment of enlightenment for you and you are at least temporarily enlightened. Isn't that cool? It's really, really cool. All right. That's enough of that. We'll do some more Zen stuff on the next episode. Okay, I got to bail for a moment, and I'll be right back. Hold on. All right, am I back? Yeah, I'm back. Sorry, I'm in a parking lot, and somebody about backed into my car. <laughs> that black car. <laughs> okay. Oh, man, this is this is hard to explain. It's so simple once you get it, but it's hard It's hard to explain for a second. The um, how, you, how you feel and what you want and your goals and everything else is a construct from what you're seeing at, from your ego. Okay, so that's step two, which is just realizing, you haven't even done anything, done anything that yet. Um, these are just realizations. And then step three is realizing that how you react to things is a choice, right? And you can see this every day. Um, if I walk up to a person that is, uh, I can walk up to two different people and say the exact same thing and I will get two different reactions out of them. And whether they know it or not, that's a choice, right? If somebody calls me on the phone and says, hey, um, you're really ugly, I want to punch you in the face, I have a choice of how I respond, right? So that's the next step is realizing it's a choice. And then the third step is being able to choose your choice. And that's a big thing in Zen Buddhism is to pause and choose an appropriate response. They say that in itself is enlightenment. And it's actually really possible. I would say that it goes one more step further because, oh, if you make the right choices, life all of a sudden becomes a whole lot easier. Imagine if you made the right choice all the time right? You invested when you were supposed to. You didn't get into that fight with somebody. You didn't send that email, but you did uh, take this one class and you didn't um, uh, let your handlebars get too slick and then wreck on your bike, for example, right? You may, everything's, most things are choices and then your life can be a whole lot easier. Okay, so then there's another step that I would propose, um, because this isn't all that clear, is making the last stage of enlightenment would be making the right choice most of the time, let's say 90% of the time, right? Then you've got things pretty much uh, rounded out and it's nice. Um, a lot of us have moments of enlightenment where you see how things work and you see the result of a good choice and everything becomes clear uh, briefly, right? 
Um, there's two different paths in uh, Zen Buddhism, or I don't know if it's in Zen Buddhism, but in Buddhism, and it's like permanent enlightenment versus kind of temporary enlightenment. And I like the temporary one because that's the one I experience a lot. <laughs> and that's where you're like, oh, I get it. Ah, oh, cool. And all enlightenment means means um, awake, right? That's uh, Bud is Pali or, or um, Hindu. I don't know what language it is. But it, Buddha means the awakened one. All it just means is that you woke up and you're like, oh. And it's just like being in a dark room and turning on the light, right? And you go, oh, that's where everything is in the room. Okay, I get I get how this life is laid out. I get what I have to do. And I get how that was dumb. And this is smart, right? That's all it is. And you see the a better way of doing things, right? And um, when you turn on a light in a room, is it on forever? Uh, it could be, right? But that's a lot of faith right there. Uh, usually your kid comes in a few minutes behind you and turns that light off, <laughs> in my experience. So you can, um, I, 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 uh, I prescribe, ascribe to the belief that the, um, that they're temporary flashes, but with practice and a little bit of, of pausing and then making the right choice and looking to make sure that you're clear on things and how things work, that, um, you can get it, uh, more and more frequently and then be, and what happens in the end is, um, you, your life just gets more orderly and things make more sense and that's it. And that's enlightenment. That's all. But the first step is you have to realize that the you that you think is you is not you. That, um, you're, it's the difference of, of watching television and somehow thinking that you're inside the TV participating with what's going on, right? And that it's real or stepping outside of the TV and realize that you're watching a play, you know, a TV show, a sitcom or whatever, and that you can turn it off, turn it on or change the channel, right? That's the big difference right there. And when Tawny and I were talking on the last episode of, um, the Zendurance project that, um, I, I mentioned this, I believe towards the beginning in that I know, um, that I have things to fix and that's the, that's the biggest step, right? Walking around thinking that you don't have any problems and that, uh, you're, you don't, uh, need, you couldn't use help and that you're doing everything right is egocentric. It's me, me, me. I'm doing things the right way, right? And um, that's where, and you can tell when I'm talking with Tawny, I'm like, uh, it's confusing to, to people on the outside, but uh, where I'm like, I'm very uh, confident in myself and how I'm talking, but I'm confident in that I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> Right. And I don't know what I'm doing because I'm me and I can't see from outside of me at me. And to get help to see is what Tawny is helping doing. And yeah, that's how it works. It's pretty cool. So that's our little uh, Zen moment of the um, of the podcast and uh, many Zen uh, experts will tell you that enlightenment is nothing more than appropriate response. That's it. Master that, 
and you are there. There's also, I should mention, a lot of confusion over enlightenment in general um, because somehow as it's been um, carried over here to the West, we think that uh, being enlightened is just uh, is it a magical experience and to say that you're enlightened is a... Um, is really like is, is like saying you have magical superpowers and that um, you you would have to practice and train for a, uh, thirty years, forty years, and go meditate in a cave eating crickets or something like that uh, to become enlightened. And um, the people that invented the religion, <laughs> the the philosophy, <laughs> said. No, that's not how it works. And if you go over to the East, um, lots of people all the time all around you will say that they're enlightened. It's, it's, um, it's a cultural thing over here to, to think of, of, of it as some kind of like super special thing. It's not whatsoever. Again, all it is is going, oh, I get it. I see how, I see how things work and that I've been uh, drawn in and thinking that I'm the most important thing in the world. And that... Um, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be that way. And there are um, also. It's there, there's people that are enlightened that don't even know anything about any enlightenment whatsoever. They just understand. Uh, they just get it. Um, they talk about dogs being enlightened. You know, dogs, cats, fish, whatever, because they just do what they're supposed to do, and they don't think too much about stuff and think that they're the center of the universe. They just do. A dog does dogging, right? And and that's where the saying is, uh, after enlightenment, uh, chop wood. Carry water and chop wood. That means once you get it, go back to living your life again. It's, it's nothing uh, special or magical. So don't think that um, you can do it. That you can't, don't think that you can't do it or that it's something special reserved for people that go off on uh, retreats you know, half the year or live in a monastery or something like that. It's easily available to everybody all the time. And like I said, um, you have flashes of it all the time. And it's just uh, making the flashes stick around a little bit more. And also being a, putting your hand on the switch and your hand on the TV remote so that you can actually control it a little bit more. And that's that. Like I had a, I had a moment of enlightenment. And then also remembering them and maybe writing them down. I had a moment of enlightenment I'll share with you guys where I was reading something or watching something about Iron Man. Somebody asked me a question. Yeah, somebody asked me a question about how uh, they said, go out and uh, on Twitter. It was a really nice comment, by the way. On Twitter, they said, go out and uh, destroy uh, Iron Man Texas. And um, I don't think they said destroy, but they, you know, like wreck it out there. Like have a great time, like kill it. And and I, I thought about it for a minute, and as I was typing my response, and typing is great, writing things down, because you have to condense your thoughts down into words to communicate them to somebody else. And when you do that, you have to summarize like what you think, and then it makes you rethink what you're thinking, and then go, oh, that's how I think. And I, I wrote back something like, uh, it's not so much that you do an Iron Man, it's more like an Iron Man does you. <laughs> they are... And, I think you could get so good, you could be like a top-level pro and go out and an Iron Man, you know, like you've really got a grasp on it. So these people that can actually um, 
when you talk to pros and they, they race the bike and they respond to attacks and things like that, and they know what they're doing with all that, and they've got their nutrition nailed down, okay, they're doing an Ironman, right? They're racing an Ironman like you and I would race a 5K, you know, or a 10K, where you're, you're, you're able to handle it in a way where you're in control, okay? But for 99% of us, we don't do Ironmans, <laughs> Ironmans do us. You go out there and the whole goal is really to go as slow and easy as you possibly can so the Ironman doesn't kill you out there. And you just try to maintain and just not slow down. And you just, you just stay the course. And when you realize that, that when you go out on the Ironman course, you allow the Ironman to happen to you. So you stay solid, right? You become a tree stump and and stand on it. You, you take a tree stump and you stand on it. And it's a low, flat stump that you can't move very much on. And you just kind of spread your legs shoulder width apart and just stand there. And what that represents is zone two. <laughs> and not responding to people passing you or charging up hills or whatever or ignoring your nutrition or your sunscreen or your hydration. You're just gonna You're just going to park yourself right here with this effort level and this thoughtfulness. And then now you're going to let the Iron Man happen all around you and happen to you. And you just try not to get knocked off that stump, right? You ever see that where you put somebody up on a, on a chair or on a stump and then you, people try to push them over or something and that person tries to play king of the mountain, right? So you're just going to play king of the mountain of your little mountain, their Iron Man, and let Iron Man happen to you. And then while you're doing the race... You imagine that you're you're in you're in one place and the race is like a movie experience all happening to you. It's all happening around you and everything is a choice of how you respond. And you have the time. It's a it's a long race. You have all the time in the world to choose your response to everything that happens. A guy passes you on the swim, do you draft? You got a few seconds to the side, right? Guy passes you on the bike, do you draft? You see the potential where uh, do you draft? Do you uh, yeah? Do you draft? No, you don't, right? But you think about it for a second. You have a second to think about it, right? You're going through an aid. Your aid station's coming up. Do you take water? You know, it's been 20 minutes since you ate. Do you fuel or not? Everything is a choice. And you let the race happen to you and you do it as a moving meditation of responding to all the choices. And then you actually have the best chance of your best race and your best experience. It can be really intense that way if you choose to experience it that way. And when I when all this like uh, came to my mind, I'm like, oh, that's a way of... Uh, performing an Ironman, then that was a moment of enlightenment. And if what I'm saying to you right now is a brand new way of approaching a race and it's new to you and you really like it and it's really clear and something that's like, wow, I could do that, then that's a moment of enlightenment for you and you are at least temporarily enlightened. Isn't that cool? It's really, really cool. All right. That's enough of that. We'll do some more Zen stuff on the next episode. Okay, I got to bail for a moment, and I'll be right back. Hold on. All right. I had to do a time jump there. Quantum? Was that the TV show? Anyway, I am back at the house and wrapping up packing, getting ready to go to the Woodlands uh, the day before the race again. I went yesterday and did my check-in. I live about an hour away, so it's just an hour 15. Hop over there, hop back. 
had a lot of fun last night uh, at Cycles Texas, which is the bike shop that's right next to a Ferrari dealership in downtown Woodlands. And that that was bizarre. And being on the Starkey show, I met Justin Durr. Durr. I used to have a friend growing up named Justin Durr, so I think I get him confused. And also um, Lionel Sanders, briefly. And saw a few other people I'm trying to think. Uh, but met a whole bunch of people and had a really, really good time. Met some of the people from uh, the 50 Women Nakona. Uh, group, which was a lot of fun. And then I had to bail to get out of there. And all in all, oh, I uh, went to the All World Athlete uh, Silver thing and talked to Messick for just a minute or two. Didn't get anywhere uh, one way or the other. Was talking to him nicely, but then um, uh, he had other things to go talk to other people about. Uh, I was just I was telling him that I liked the rolling swim start was pretty cool. And then I saw Jordan rap, but I didn't get a chance to talk to him. I saw Dave Scott. I got Dave Scott a glass of water. (laughs) And then, um, and, but I did talk to Bob Babbitt for gosh, five minutes or something like that about the start of triathlon. And he said he'd love to be on Zen and Yard of Triathlon podcast. So I'm super stoked about that. He is my kind of guy and, uh, been there from the beginning and just having a good old time talking to anybody and everybody. Had a crowd of ladies around them, which was pretty fun. And yeah, I think that's it. So let's go ahead and wrap up um, this portion of the show before we get into the training log with the sponsors. Uh, If we have a sponsor on Zen and Yard of Triathlon, it is somebody that I use. And I don't just use them, I use the heck out of them. And I'm super excited to have them on, and I wanted to mention two long time now great sponsors. Uh, the longest, let's start with the longest one first Amrita Bars. So good. I'm actually out of Amrita Bars right now, and it's killing me. I need to get some more. Um, so let's just imagine a lot of people have had a Lara Bar uh, because that's a big brand. Well, imagine a Lara Bar, but if you have a nut allergy, it's actually uh, no nuts, it's actually got seeds and other sources of protein and fat in it besides nuts. It's awesome. And then also it's got a soothing element in it, uh, cardamom, that uh, actually settles your stomach. Uh, So if you upset stomach, you can actually taste the cardamom in it. So good. They're fantastic. And I've been eating eating them uh, before my workouts in the morning, and it's spot on. Um, The other day I had a cup of coffee, ate half of an Amrita bar, and then – uh, as I was drinking, finishing up my cup of coffee and on my way to the pool, I had another half, the other half of the Amrita bar and just have fantastic workouts. They're so good. Slow acting, healthy carbs. Uh, you can do slow carbs, like let's say you can and stuff like that, but is there any actually nutrition in that vitamins and minerals and stuff? Uh, not so much. I mean, it's just processed stuff, right? So Amrita is super, super healthy. And they are a huge supporter of Zentri. I wear their kit on uh, during races, and I love doing it. The kit's gorgeous, and you can get one of those kits too. In fact, you can get a whole bunch of stuff at the Amrita website, amritahealthfoods.com, and get 15% off, which is a ton, 15% off with discount code ZEN, all capital letters, just the word ZEN. Go there and get some freaking great nutrition and all kinds of healthy stuff and cool looking kit and support one of our supporters and uh, help keep Zentri on the air and out there helping people. 
All right, and then also, without fail, every morning, I take a sound probiotics pill. And the other day, I felt sick for about half an hour. <laughs> and besides that, I haven't gotten sick in months and months and months and months. And what it does is it feeds the healthy bacteria in your gut. And there's probiotics out there, but then there's probiotics for athletes. So these are engineered for athletes, and it's just one pill. It doesn't taste like anything. Just pop it in your mouth, get up in the morning, and I have a cup of coffee, and I eat um, a sound probiotics pill, and I take uh, a little bit of fish oil, fish oil pills, and um, you know to kick off my day in an, in an Amrita bar. And the sound probiotics is wonderful. You just feel like, so confident that uh, you're doing everything that you can to uh, stay healthy because you don't want to get sick. That's your number one problem in triathlon training and racing is getting sick or injured. And getting sick is really avoidable. And uh, your immune system, they're finding out, is something around like 70% of your immune system is actually from your guts. And it's the bacteria in your gut. So if you feed the right bacteria the right stuff, then you got the right stuff in there to help you out. And it is no joke. Stuff is great. So you can go to Sound Probiotics website, soundprobiotics.com, and get 10% off all their stuff with discount code ZENTRY, all capital letters ZENTRY. And I just got the news that both Rachel Joyce and Ben Hoffman, who are two fantastic pros, are now using and being sponsored by Sound Probiotics, which is super cool. And Sound, Sound Probiotics also sponsors Team Noro Nordisk, Novo Nordisk, um, the all-diabetes sports team. That's super cool. And uh, they know, Sound Probiotics knows that Emily, my wife, has type 1 diabetes, and we've talked about that. So they really do care. They're doing great stuff, and having them on the show is super, super cool. Owner of the company is Ted, and give him a shout-out, man. It's really, really good stuff. Okay, and also you can support the show by donations and then Hornet Juice on the uh, left-hand side. I talk about that area episode, so I'll, I'll let that one uh, just sit where it is right now because we'll talk about it again next episode. It'll come right back around. And I guess that's it. Let's go ahead and get started in the training log. And... Yeah, all kinds of stuff leading up to the week. Uh, just, you know, some fun stuff. And then we'll see you at the end of the show. Here we go. You are entering the Zentrite Training Log Zone. Kuneli. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a trap. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But, Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey. We all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise! Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself! Welcome to a new training log. Stardate. May 8th, 2015. Leaving the pool, headed out to the Zentri Mobile Studios. Let's see how long my phone battery lasts here. And got some cool stuff going on. This will probably be a short training log because we've got uh, Iron Man Texas coming up, and I want to do a show, get a show out before then. We got Luke Tybersky. Hopefully, he's leading off this episode. And uh, man, I got some cool stuff to tell you guys. If you ever hear anything on Zen and Yard of Triathlon that helps you with your training and whatever racing, don't forget this is a listener-supported show, and I bring you content. And you can help keep the show on the air and pay it back 
by um, supporting the show. So you can go to uh, zentrathlon.com. And I'm telling you all this because I'm about to tell you something pretty cool. You can go to uh, the PayPal uh, link on the top left and uh, bottom left. <laughs> Let's open up the tray here on top of the Xterra. And I keep my swimsuit in it and my goggles and my towel. And when I swim two days later, it's all dry. It's a little cargo box that's ventilated. It's the key thing of the Xterra. So I figured out... Um, so I was talking with somebody on Twitter the other day about uh, expected time. The Garmin watch will tell you um, how fast you'll go. Uh, the Garmin 920 will tell you expected uh, race results. And uh, for long distance stuff, mine's really impressive <laughs> for running, but it hardly ever comes, uh, it never comes to reality because I'm always end up, uh, having fueling problems. And the guy said, uh, Hey, I know the short distance stuff's right on, but the long distance stuff seems to, uh, not come true. And I replied back, um, yeah, I think mine would come true. Um, if it, uh, but fueling, which, which is the thing that makes your long distance stuff come undone, always, uh, fueling always does me in, but, um, I've come across something that is really interesting. Uh, I've noticed that simple sugars like fructose and sucrose, so like the stuff that's in regular Gatorade hurts my stomach. And what happened was I was running uh, just for an hour and I was drinking some Gatorade and then when I was done running I had gas and my stomach hurt a little bit and I was like this is stupid this makes my stomach hurt you know how are you supposed to go for like 10 hours when your stomach starts hurting after one hour of this crap right and so <clears throat> I don't remember what phrase I was googling or how I came across it but I started digging around a little bit and Hammer does a really good... Hammer Nutrition. Well, I think it's still a sponsor. John Hirsch. Give him a shout out. Uh, has Does really good nutrition research and stuff like that. And publishes no-nonsense stuff about um, fueling and how much it takes and all that. And they said... Uh, simple Sugars. There's this page that they have that says Simple Sugars will make your stomach hurt. Um, because this is the coolest thing. It was cool to actually see this written out. You have, um, for your body to digest simple sugars, you can, it takes just a ton of water for them to, uh, for them to pass through your gut, uh, because the osmolality, <laughs> I'm trying to say that right. So with a reasonable amount of water, let's say you're drinking a liter an hour or something like that, you can only get in 100 calories uh, in that amount of water um, before your stomach starts to hurt. But complex carbohydrates um, can actually be absorbed. Uh, a lot more of them, I think they have a lower osmolality. I think the lower is better. Uh, You can eat, absorb, or whatever three times as much complex carbohydrates as uh, you can um, 
simple sugars. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, but what are you going to do? You're going to sit there and eat complex carbohydrates uh, the whole time? And then, and this is true, like, uh, go eat, go eat just candy and watch how fast your stomach starts to hurt, right? Uh, Those are simple sugars, but then eat bread or something like that, and you can pack down bread, uh, and it doesn't hurt your stomach, you know? So, uh... It said two examples of complex carbohydrates are glucose polymers is one. There's a cop over here looking at things in the grass or something. I don't know what's going on. Uh, glucose polymers, which I happen to know what that is. That's Vitargo, uh, V-I-T-A-R-G-O. That is a glucose polymer. Um, that's some pretty cool stuff if you want to check that out. I've tried it and talked about it on the show recently, actually. And... There's also, um, it says maltodextrin. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Really? And uh, yeah, maltodextrin. And you can buy maltodextrin in bulk at like beer stores and stuff like that. Um, it's basically, Carbo Pro is a brand that's uh, maltodextrin. Where you can just buy, you know, just scoops. But it's kind of expensive for what it is because maltodextrin is actually pretty cheap. And... It's like, no way, you got to be kidding me. Maltodextrin. And because um, everybody talks about, and they're right, you know, it's a very fast-acting starch. So it could spike your blood sugar. But I think if you if you um, dose it out very, very evenly, a lot of these tests, they give people like 300 calories at once and watch what happens. Well, if you spread that 300 calories out to uh, once every five minutes, over an hour, you know, your blood sugar like would not really notice it at all anyway the um, so in a let's say you're doing like a 22 ounce bottle uh, like a bike bottle and you could put theoretically you could put 300 calories in this uh, in this one bottle and it wouldn't bother you at all um, your stomach and and with some salt or something like that. So I've been doing that recently. Uh, Let's see. uh, My long bike ride uh, last episode where I had a flat tire and it was just miserable out there. One thing that wasn't miserable was my fueling. I never had an upset stomach. I had plenty of fuel the whole time. Uh, That felt fine. My stomach never hurt. I didn't have sloshing stomach and all that. And that was just maltodextrin powder, uh, in uh, water with uh, some sea salt. That was it. And oh, I had a uh, hornet juice in there. Yeah. And uh, then I've done some running and I've done some swimming. Yeah, and biking. I've done it all with uh, 200 to 300 calories per hour of maltodextrin powder. And uh, <clears throat> It's amazing. Like, it actually uh, doesn't hurt your stomach at all. So I'm not saying, you know, you've already got your own personal fuel that you've got all figured out and stuff. But for those of you out there that have um, stomach pain from fructose and sucrose, you have stomach pain from whatever fuel you're using, um, look at the ingredients and see if it's mostly fructose and sucrose and dextrose and then uh, start checking out... um, try maltodextrin instead you can go buy carbo pro if you want to test it 
and do Carbo Pro, same amount of calories, and see if your stomach feels fine because it's a complex carbohydrate. It's pretty weird. Um, let's talk about, uh, let's see, uh, tapering down for Ironman Texas, uh, majorly slowing things down, uh, still doing interval work here and there, but uh, i got time to take my bike in. Um, I've got some new triathlon shoes. Um, so it's, it's uh, time to take care, you, instead of working out, like maybe start, uh, you know, doing doctor work on your bike and start getting things set up for the race. And also, I'm really stoked uh, at Freebirds Burrito, which is uh, a burrito shop that helps me out with uh, some burritos every once in a while, <laughs> which they're awesome. I eat there almost every day because you get your beans and your rice and your veggies and whatever protein you want and all kinds of cool stuff guacamole it's just fantastic all around um a guy that works there is into frisbee golf and i like frisbee golf and i used to throw frisbee all the time when i was a kid and loved it and my brother and i used to go out in the front yard and throw the frisbee back and forth and back and forth and we did that instead of throwing a football for some reason not sure why so um half decent with some practice at throwing a frisbee and i asked kai if this weekend he wants to um throw the frisbee go do some frisbee golf and i kind of explained it to him and i took him one time when he was a tiny little kid uh to go do it so he kind of knows what it is and we took a cardboard box and put it out in the front yard and uh well the guy at freebirds gave me two he's big into it and he's just mellow and like yeah man it's really cool and it's nice being outside and it's 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 awesome you know and uh so he gave me um uh pot's not legal in texas yet but he said, uh, he gave me two of those uh, Frisbees that are specialty Frisbees for this kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, Kai and I went out in the front yard and with a cardboard box, just left the cardboard box in one spot and then tried throwing them in from uh, different places and uh, had a blast out there doing it. And um, the cool thing about stuff like this, it could be Frisbee golf, it could be geocaching, go check that out, that's pretty cool, um, is... It's a outdoors, uh, fun thing to do that takes you to different places so that you can see different stuff and do different things. And it's both active and relaxing and therapeutic. And I've been thinking a lot about this stuff, uh, trying to tone down the training um, so that you know I can get uh, faster but without wearing myself out. Um, I've pretty pretty much hit the wall as far as how much I can do without getting exhausting myself. And I saw this morning um, Magnus Backstead, who's epic, um, posted on Twitter. He must be pretty desperate because he's super famous in the uh, endurance sports world, cycling and all that. And uh, he won uh, Perry, Paris Roubaix. I said Perry. Paris Roubaix um, at least once big Swedish guy, this Swedish missile. And, uh, he said, I'm exhausted. I've been exhausted for like two months now. Any, anybody have any ideas? And that's really weird for, uh, somebody, you know, of his stature to be posting on Twitter. Um, so he must be really looking for help. And what he did was he started training for Ironmans a couple of years ago and he's about my age. And, um, yeah, you have to be careful. You know, you can start doing too much uh, it gets addictive. It's good for you, 
but you can also do this thing that I like to call fit to death. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go in and uh, make a little snack for breakfast. All right, out, bang. All right, it is Monday morning, the week of Ironman Texas. And for a little extra thrill in my life, a little extra motivation, I decided to go swim at a neighborhood pool. That's I'm under the cabana, the giant cabana thing now. You can hear the birds. It's early in the morning, the sun just came up. And boy, the birds are out. And it's a 25 meter pool that looks like it's about probably five lanes wide, but it has no lane ropes and no markers on the bottom, so it's just sky blue, um, Caribbean blue. So when you swim along, you have to hope that you're going to know where the wall is. <laughs> uh, it's like an endless pool, but with a wall that you slam into. Uh, and so what I've learned over time is this is, I swim figure eights in it, uh, not never touching a wall. So I swim diagonally across it, which ends up being like 28 meters probably. And then I do a turn and then a turn and then swim back the other way diagonally. And I keep doing that and you never touch a wall. And it's awesome open water swimming because there's no lane ropes to stop the chop. So the chop starts, starts building up. So it starts getting bouncy and you never touch a wall. So I just swam for 37 minutes without ever touching anything. And uh, uh, you can feel within just a minute or two of the burn that you start getting in your shoulders that you don't get when you swim laps. Because if you swim laps where you push off a wall every time, uh, your shoulders get a little bit of a rest. And um, I actually cut it short because for two reasons. It's different than what I'm used to doing right now, even though I've done it lots before. Um, but that was like half a year ago. And uh, so it's different. So it'll, it'll, it'll make me too sore, um, you know, too soon. And I won't know it uh, until it's too late. And then also it's thundering and lightning all around me. And... <clears throat> I, uh, that's the other reason that I came to this pool, this neighborhood pool. There's no lifeguards. It's just swim at your own risk. And uh, if there's thunder and lightning, that's your problem. <laughs> You're the idiot. <laughs> but if I drove all the way across town, the, uh, the city pool would be shut down. It's an outdoor pool. And um, there's no swimming. Uh, I can guarantee it because of thunder and lightning. Um, so I upped my risk Normally, I wouldn't probably swim in this. Yeah, there's flashing lightning kind of going on around me. Um, except that got a race coming up. And as a race comes up, you've got scheduled items that you need to um, work with. And you got to push your limits a little bit, your comfort level, to get things done. And uh, swimming along in a pool and seeing lightning flashes light up the pool every once in a while is uh, definitely uh, past your comfort level. <laughs> but um, in all my years of swimming, and 
I've surfed in lightning storms, heavy duty lightning storms and stuff. The risk of actually getting hit is actually really, 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 really small. So you have to make a judgment call and uh, decide if it's worth it or not. So this morning I decided it was worth it because the storms are off on the horizon and moving this way. I looked at the radar before I got here, but uh, decided it was, it was okay. And I ended up being okay so far. All right, I gotta get back to the, his house out thing. Oh, I should mention that one of the reasons I like swimming at this pool is then I go back to my house and then I get to see Kai and Emily all together as a family um, before work. And uh, I like that so much more than, um, than leaving really early in the morning and going swimming and then going from the pool to, uh, to work without seeing everybody wake up and, and off to life together. I'm, I like that a whole lot more, uh, being with everybody to start the day. All right, out, bang. All right, I'm on my way to W to the O-R-K, W to the E-R-K. <laughs> name your difficulty and give it a funny name, and then it's not so bad anymore. Anyway, uh, Kai was just asking me about which one's better on a bike, to be lightweight or aerodynamic. And I said, well, it depends. It's a very Zen Buddhist thing. Everything depends. And uh, there's a video I saw of, Dalai, of the Dalai Lama answering a question where a guy says, okay, you're like 80 years old and you lived your whole life as a mute. Uh, you, the Dalai Lama, you're enlightened or whatever, and you've lived, you've lived your whole life as a mute, and you've now found the ability to speak. Uh, what would you say? So basically the question is, you've been silent your whole life, uh, you know all this stuff, and now you finally have the opportunity to speak, what would you say? And the Dalai Lama first goes, well, that's a ridiculous question. <laughs> And starts laughing. It's so funny. And then he kind of looks around the room like, what kind of question is this? This is so ridiculous. And he goes, well, it depends. I guess it would, uh, you know, be based on, uh, my, my question would be based on what I need at the moment. I'm hungry. Who has something to eat? <laughs> then he looked around and lifted his hands, you know, like, like, uh, right? Right, everybody? like that it was so cool um everything depends and when you get to understanding the grayscales in life and not you don't have to be and it's possibly a mistake to be black and white then uh, uh everything's so much better wisdom is knowing the grayscale of how to respond different things but uh okay so with a bike you weight is a factor up to a certain miles per hour and up to a certain amount of climbing so i was telling kai let's say uh let's say it's 18 miles per hour on the bike once you get over 18 miles per hour actually it's like 13 or 15 miles per hour i think on flat ground um aerodynamics really starts to matter and because your biggest resistance is now 
wind, not ground friction. And so you start making efforts to cut through the wind better, it's going to pay off more than efforts of sitting upright and just smashing the pedals. Um, so aerodynamics, good aerodynamics, weighs more than just being purely lightweight, right? So something that's really strong and lightweight is a round tube, but something uh, more aerodynamic will be more like an airfoil. And an airfoil is more material to shape an airfoil than it is to shape a round tube. So a aerodynamic bike, uh, a more aerodynamic bike will weigh more because it's got more material to shape the tubes than a, um, than a lightweight bike. It's a little counterintuitive, but once you start thinking of the materials and the structure strength and stuff, it starts to make sense. So a really aerodynamic bike may weigh um, 18 pounds, um, even though it's all carbon fiber. And I'm just guessing here. And a uh, really lightweight bike um, can weigh like, they're down to like 12, 13 pounds, something like that now. They're ridiculously light. Um, you do get to a point where a bike is so light that it actually, you you want the uh, weight back um, Say with a phone that is so light that uh, it, it doesn't feel substantial under your body, uh, in your hand, then uh, you can get that same way. I always think of surfboards are that way. You can get them so light that um, they just bounce all over the place and are like tissue paper. and They're not structurally, there's no mass to them and you lose the feel for uh, the water. But we're uh, like playing a guitar or something like that. You can get too light, where there's a little bit of the plucking and the, the feel is uh, the resistance of the weight uh, working against you. But anyway, bikes seem to be pretty nice, lightweight-wise, around like 12, 12 pounds, uh, 13, 14 pounds maybe. And once you start getting lighter than that, you start really wondering <laughs> if the thing's going to crack in half under you. But um, anyway, so I was telling Kai, there's the uh, aerodynamics... Uh, starts making you faster more than weight but there's also the consideration of going uphill and when you go uphill weight starts to make a difference uh, more than aerodynamics and especially if you start going uphill enough it slows you down where you're going under 15 miles per hour because it's impossible to go any faster than that up the hill so aerodynamics doesn't matter anyway so, it all depends on what kind of race that you're in. Um, it's nice to have two different bikes. You have your road bike and your tri-bike, an ideal situation. Um, a lot of beginners, will, it's fine to have a road bike and then put aero bars on it, or to have a tri-bike um, and learn to ride it uh, like a road bike when necessary. Um, of course, the road bike with aero bars is a more functional uh, bike but anyway so that's that I had something else I wanted to talk about oh I wanted to compliment Tawny on uh, the workout she gave me on Sunday she, I hope I mention if I don't mention this on her show uh, tweet at her that I mentioned it online so I, so we don't forget uh, she gave me a run on uh 
on Sunday that I did uh, yesterday. And I love the way it was written. It said one to two hour run. Now that's a big difference. It's twice. (laughs) It's 100% more if you do two hours than one hour. But it says, play it by ear. Go until you feel like it's not doing you any good anymore. It said something like that. And that is perfect. That's the way you write a workout. That is so nice. Uh, So I'm running. And I ran uh, one hour, and then I'm getting into... That was easy. One hour is no problem. Then I started getting into an hour and a half, and I started struggling. And I was like, okay, the two hours will uh, will definitely improve me. In fact, I probably should have cut it short about an hour and 50 minutes, probably. But I went to two hours. But... Um, uh, I went, that was a really interesting run too, by the way. Um, You you need to train for the race and in the race, you're going to be pushing it and it's, uh, you need to learn to fuel under stress and also what it feels like uh, racing instead of everything being uh, slow and easy all the time and also it was hot like really 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 hot and um, there's a there's heat training that needs to happen for this this uh, Texas race there's already a, a fear mongering thread going on on slow twitch which is the most destructive uh, type of thing that can happen don't go ro- read that thing Oh, woe is me. The world's going to end. It's so hot. It's going to be a disaster out there. There's literally a thread like that on Slow Twitch. And somebody started it. It's just like, it's, it's going to be like a war zone. It's, it's going to be terrible. Uh, everybody be ready. And uh, it just, you know, it sets all this negative mindset stuff. And you can kind of read through it and parse out a few gems of things to do. Um, but in general, it's, it's, man, it's something you ought to stay away from. You know, it's like going into a race and reading about how awesome your competition is. And uh, if you're not the right personality type, it just makes you more afraid and, and uh, terrified and actually underperform because you, you've already convinced yourself that the, um, the competition is going to win. And in Ironman, the race the course is your competition, not other people. <laughs> so people are on there saying about how terrible it's going to be and uh, how they can't believe already uh, how the how horrible the weather is going to be and, and, uh, and hot, the heat and the humidity. And it's like, well, what do you not, you not know that when you sign up for it? Why'd you sign up for it then? It's going to be, it's going to be uh, nightmarishly uh, hot and humid. So, you know, I'm just shrugging my shoulders here like, why post a thread about it and dwell on it? You know, oh, whoa, oh, no. So anyway, I'm out running on Sunday. And that was one of my uh, few just brutally hard and hot uh, runs. And I started at 8.30 in the morning. And when I finished, um, not even when I finished, I'm just, you know, half an hour into it. I can tell my running shorts are just soaked and not drying out super high humidity 
uh, super high heat. And so I'm practicing running in this so that on race day, I'm already a little bit familiar with what my body will do. And the day before, I did kind of a hard bike ride, you know, some intervals to make my legs tired and a, and a short, hard run that Tawny planned out for me. It's exactly what I would have done uh, anyway. So I was so excited when I saw it in my, in my schedule. I'm like, that is right on, Tawny. And then, um, uh, so when I went running Sunday morning, the two-hour run, it kind of hurt a little bit. And I'm, now I'm trying to run at rate what I think is my race pace uh, so like a, I was trying to run you know like an eight and a half minute mile pace and my heart rate just shot through the roof because of the heat and it's just so brutal you know and I'm fueling and drinking and fueling and drinking and seeing what it feels like and taking salt tabs and trying to run by pace at least running a, not, a low nine and um, which is in cooler weather, my heart rate's nice and happy doing that. It's easy to run a low nine, but in these conditions, my heart rate was like uh, 15, 20 beats higher than normal. And um, so I was learning during under the stressful condition how to um, how to fuel and how to salt and how to um, drink during this kind of stuff and just practicing for it and getting used to it uh, for race day. And then, uh, so that was awesome. That's really something you need to do. It's great is to do, get your legs nice and tired from biking and then go out and, and run at, uh, what you perceive at the pace, not the perceived effort, but the pace that you want to run your race at and, and see what that feels like and get used to it psychologically. And it was nice when I was done. I was like, man, I, that I'm so much better off having done that to see that I can, that I actually can survive. I ran a half marathon. I ran 13 miles at that uh, low nine in that high heat, and was alive, but it freaking hurt. So the downside is is my all afternoon, all evening, into the night, it kept waking me up. My my knee on the outside left side, where I wrecked on it on the bike wreck two weeks ago has this dull aching pain, like something's wrong with it. Um, I can tell that over time, like months, like say like two months, I guess, maybe not three, but two months, it's going to be okay. But in the meantime, it freaking hurts. And um, you don't want things like that on race day, excuses in your mind, like, oh, you know, my knee hurts, I should slow down. So that's a downside that I'm trying to work on and get rid of, but there's really not much I can do for it. So that's it. All right, I got to go in. Out, bang. All right, let's wrap this baby up. I am headed over to the Woodlands to go race. It's the day before the race. It's 9.30, 9.15, yeah, 9.17 in the morning, and I'm headed over there. Uh, got my bike all set up, um, trying to limit the amount of new stuff that I'm doing on race day, trying to load up on carbs but eat healthy, but low fiber, but high carbs, but low protein, but high carbs. <laughs> Eventually, you're down to just freaking what Gatorade and uh, and pretzels. I mean, is that it? Um, getting together salt pills and making my fuel bottles, and uh, it is dumping rain off and on. Uh, sections of the bike course were closed uh, yesterday, the day before yesterday, due to flooding. Yeah, day before yesterday, and I actually drove some of the bike course. And in spite of all the rain, most of the bike course was open. I drove it on the way to the, um, to the check-in 
yesterday. And um, oh, the big expo is going on and everything, and uh, it's humid, humid, humid. But it's actually not that hot, which might actually work out in my favor. Um, we'll, ne- we'll never know <laughs> until it's race day. And my strategy going into the race is uh, a one-hour swim warm-up. Uh, or change, probably 105, I don't know, whatever it takes. And then a uh, five and a half hour bike ride, and then uh, easy, I, I don't even time it. Just imagine that I'm doing like a nine or 10 hour bike run, brick, you know, a little bit more bike than run, and uh, pace it like that. Always remember about how long you're going to be out there, and that really go, that really makes you think, holy crap, I'm going to be out here forever. So, um, go slow and uh don't cook i took the uh don't cook yourself i talked to tawny yesterday which is really cool uh about pacing and workouts and goals and such and just having a good old time so everybody stay safe out there (laughs) don't wreck (laughs) i've got now i've now got people uh mentioning to me uh yeah keep the rubber side down brett just laughing give me that silly grin because they know i've wrecked and uh yeah i mean that's racing uh Wrecking is racing, you know, just try not to get hurt too bad. Um, If you're not pushing the limit a little bit, then you're not going fast enough. But uh, one wreck or one accident, and you could be out forever. So uh, you got to always kind of rein it in a little bit. That's what's nice about the long stuff is you don't have to attack corners, you know, and uh, uh, be like super aggressive or anything like that because it really doesn't make any difference. In fact, easing your way around the corner gives you a little bit of a break and lets you rest your legs for a little bit and uh, that'll actually pay off you'll probably go faster if you actually coast through corners uh easier and stuff because you're giving your legs a break and uh, you should slow down in the corners anyway and um, in the end those little rest breaks and those coastings and stuff like that um, keep you upright and then also give your legs a little bit of a break so you can go longer faster in the end when you finally hit that run so all right that's it everybody stay safe out there work the uphills cruise the downhills next episode is iron man texas and keep the rubber side down out